Good evening. Thanks for coming. Uh, we are going to begin now the seventh chapter as we continue learning uh, the Agaris Achuva. We're holding Perik Zion. Um, before we begin, the sheer, so the, um, the Delve, the Delve uh, part of our program of life was sponsored by Shmuel and Malka Stroll, by Mordechai and Chaim Michal Sladowitz, and by David and Shayna Hoch, and by Daniel Lamalka Heyman. May this be a big schus for all of them, for much bracha, and the Ksiva Chasimah Taivan, a good gebenchtior for the year and only good. Okay. Oh, we are ready to begin the seventh chapter in Agaris HaTshuva. Um, we left off last week where the Alter Rebbe completed the explanation on the meaning of tshuva, or the higher meaning of tshuva, that tshuva comes from the word tashuv hay, returning the hay. What does it mean to return the hay? It means the hay of Hashem's name, the hay of Hashem's name, um, Hashem has two hays in his name. Somehow, as a result of our misdeeds, um, it causes some kind of a separation between the letters of the divine name. And the hay gets misplaced, moved away from its source. And when we do tshuva, we're bringing back the hay. Since there are two hays in Hashem's name, Yud, hey, Yud, K, and then again, Vav, and then another hey. That brings us, and since the separation in the hey happens on both levels, in the former hey and in the latter hey, or as sometimes seen, the upper hey and the lower hey, because the former hey is a higher level. Hashem's, the letters of Hashem's name follow, go in a downward pattern. They begin from a higher, more godlier state, and then as the letters emerge, they become more diminished and lesser and lesser as they get closer to the creation. So the, uh, the former hay is a higher hay, called hay la, the higher hay, and the lower hay is the hay tata. The lower hay means the, means the, the latter hay is the lower one, which means closer to the creation and therefore less intense. It's less intense, more limited, because it's closer to the creation. And, but the effects of our deeds impact both hays. And since the pegam, the blemish, is in both hays, so the tshuva, which is the rectification of God's name, of the hay, and the returning the hay to her husband, so to speak, to her corresponding mashpia, because the hays are always feminine, the hays are always the recipients. The returning the hay back to its mashpia, to its husband, to the source of energy that is flowing to it, either the upper hay to the yud or the lower hay to the vav, is accomplished through tshuva. So that means that there has to be two tshuvas. That's where the Zohar gets the idea that there are two tshuvas. Uh, returning the upper hay is the higher tshuva, is accomplished through the higher tshuva, and returning the latter hay, the lower hay, is through what the Zohar calls tshuva tata lower tshuva. And we've been learning in the last couple of classes, we've been learning what, why is it that when we're sinning, how are we impacting God's name? How are we impacting the hay? And the premise of the idea that we learned already is that our neshamas are much holier than we think they are. Far more, more, far more powerful than they think they are. They're really, really, really a piece of God from above. 
See what's so beautiful about Hasidic tshuva. The first thing Hasidus teaches you when you're coming to do tshuva is how magnificent you are and what kind of an incredible neshama you have. And from that place of strength, and from that place of elevation of how great a person is, instead of telling you how lowly, how dark, how negative you are, it says the opposite. It says you have no idea how holy you are and how godly you are and how your actions have such repercussions in the highest realms. You reach so high because you're so high. Because chelik Hashem amli, because a yid is a part of Hashem, and therefore you have the power, each and every one has the power to, to, to affect God's name. If we're doing good things, we're impacting God's name in a very good way. We're increasing the energy in Hashem's name. If we're doing not such good things, we cause a weakening in Hashem's name. And not only that, but when we chas v'shalem through our actions, as we learned in the previous chapters, we drag ourselves down into the world of the klipa, into the unholy, when we get involved in unholy things and we drag ourselves down into the unholiness, we don't go alone, our mother comes along with us. The Shekhinah is connected, the source of our souls, and wherever we go, the Shekhinah comes along. So the Shekhinah, which is the latter hay of God's name, gets pulled along, and he gave the example last week of a rope. When you pull a rope, so you pull the bottom of the rope, one side of the rope, into any direction, you're pulling the top of the rope also. So as he calls it, the shoresh and the makar of the neshama, which is the hay tata, which is the lower hay of Hashem's name, gets pulled into wherever we go. What does it mean practically? God, the divine energy, God's interaction with the creation in the most direct place, the most immediate place where Hashem interacts with the creation is from the attribute of malchus, because Hashem relates to the world as being a king over the world. Malchus is the last and final stage where Hashem lowers himself down, lower and lower and lower, until he can actually call himself a king over the world. That element of kingship, that's the energy that flows into creation, is as a result and through the attribute of kingship. Now, when and Hashem's initial intentions in creation is that we, the Jewish people, that you really the human being will serve God and be his subjects and through the human being God will exercise his kingship in the world now amongst the kingdom there are those that are more beneficial to the king more closer to the king's objectives to the king's goals and aspirations and there are those that are farther and less 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 instrumental or less productive in the in the king's ideas but they too are part of a kingdom a kingdom has to be colorful so there has to be people that are more involved in the more crucial elements of running the country. And then there are those that are, as long as they're you know, loyal and obedient citizens, that's also okay. And then the, every kingdom has to have a few troublemakers or else everything gets very boring. So you have to have them as well. So when God creates a world, he creates the main players which are supposed to be the human being, particularly once you, Adam and sinned, um, it became the Jewish people. It's through them that God's kingship will be implemented universally for the rest of the world. But it comes through the main, the main actualizers of that dream of the Neshamas Yisrael. And therefore God pours most of his energy and most of his vitality into the Jewish people. And then there is some spillover, some extra interest and extra flow that goes into the unholy as well goes into the more chitzainiistic realms, the more external aspects, all the way down to the things that are not that good. 
So there is, from the beginning of creation, there is in some degree a little bit of what we might call Golos Hashchina, where God is giving life and energy to things that are not that desirable. Okay, but that's part of the, that's part of the, part of the scheme of creation, is to give life to those things that are not as desirable, because again, that also gives us free choice, and that makes, there should be a, a challenge in life, and the, 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 the Hashem's desire in creation is realized not only from the good guys, but also to a certain degree from the bad guys as well. So He sustains them with a minimal energy. Here is the problem. When the Jewish people stop functioning and fulfilling our mission that we're supposed to do, as being the actualized and the realizers of God's kingship in this world, which in practical terms that means when we stop doing Hashem's will and we start doing other things, we get distracted, and we start getting busy with ourselves and doing whatever our heart desires, even if it's in contract, in, in, in contradicting what God desires. So then Hashem's energy is, there's no more kingdom happening. There's no hashra, hashchina in the world. So what happens is the, the, the flow of energy starts flowing elsewhere. And we cause the shechina to start giving its, her main energy into the unholy. The Jewish people go to exile. What happens, we go to exile, the Shekhinah comes along with us in the exile. We cause the flow of life force from the Shekhinah. And this is already the innermost of the Shekhinah, not the external. The external part of the Shekhinah was already set from the beginning to give life to the unholy. Especially after the sin of Chava, when she sinned with the tree, with Chava and Adam, when they ate from the Eitz Adas, then they caused intensified what we call Golos HaShekhinah, the exile of the Shekhinah. But even that is only to a certain degree. The main Golos HaShechina began when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. The Jewish people went into exile. So the Shechina comes along. And what happens at that time? Those parts and those nations and those peoples and those um, uh, 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 cultures or whatever it is that are not about serving God become very powerful, become very strong. And they proliferate a lot of unholy stuff in the world using the energy they're getting from where? From the Shechina. So, in a sense, the Shekhinah has got an infection. She's sick, as it says in the Zohar. She's giving life, just like when a person has an infection, they're sustaining a lot of bacteria. And that's what's happening. The Shekhinah is giving life to all these unholy stuff. She's in exile. She's in prison. And that's what we mean. We take the lower hay of Hashem's day. And every time a person sins, they're, they're intensifying that. Because when the person is, last week we learned in the Mimer, I mean, not in the Mimer, in the, in the, in the, in the Parik Vav, we learned that a person has a choice from where they are going to receive their vitality. If we are doing godly things, we are receiving our vitality directly from Kedusha, from holiness, which means we're plugging into God, we're plugging into the, into the chambers of holiness, which are plugged in directly into the Shekhinah, and from there we're drawing Hashem's life down, and Hashem is happily sustaining us with love and with excitement. And then, but if Chas V'Shalom, we turn towards unholy activity, we're doing things that Hashem forbid, makes us, is forbidden to do against God's will, or we're speaking things that are against God's will, or even if we're just thinking thoughts that are unholy and against God's will, that energy is not coming from directly from the Shekhinah. That energy is coming from the, from the forces of impurity, from the forces of darkness, spiritual forces of darkness that exist within the universe. And a person literally is being sustained by them because they're they're supporting such activity. That's what they want. A person becomes a vehicle for the proliferation, for the spreading of this impurity in this world, for this, 
for this for this negativity, which 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 is not what that which they want, because they don't want the world to become a holy place and a godly place. So, which means means they're supporting the person while the person is sinning. They're giving energy to the person, enabling him to think that thought, because in order to think, every moment we're channeling energy. There's no such a thing if we just there's no such a thing as just being alive. All life comes from the higher realms. Life trickles down from level to level, and then it translates into this world. The person is doing something that is not godly. He's receiving that energy from non-godly forces that are above. But being that these non-godly forces are sustaining the Jew down here who is sinning, they need to receive, they need to collect. In order to be able to sustain him, they have, they have expenses. So they bring their receipts, right? And they say, listen, we spent all of our energy on this Jew who's sinning. So we need to get paid back. Where do you go for? You go, but they like it when a Jew sins because then they go to the Jew's source. Where is the Jew plugged in too much higher than they can never dream of? And from that place is where they're cashing in their coupons or their, their things which they cost the sin, which means forcing the Shekhinah to add vitality and life, which is really supposed to come to the Yid. Instead, it's going to them. So it's really a, a, a very, very ridiculous, um, it's really, we're really being cheated. Every time we sin, we're being cheated big time. Because the forces of unholiness, they keep the bulk of the energy. They throw the person a bone, they give them a little bit. It's like I mentioned, give the marshal last week. A person has these big, you find this big treasure, and these guys come over to him, he has no idea that the treasure is precious gems. They come over, uh, these guys, and they go and they do business with his, with, his, with his things they sell, and they give him a couple of dollars. So he thinks he's so happy because they gave him money. Till now he had stones, and now they gave him money. But they gave him nothing in comparison to what it's really worth. And what they're giving him is his own money that they, they, they robbed him from. And that's what's happening. The sustaining, the person is being sustained by the unholy. He's getting a little bit energy from the clip. But that's why it's possible he brings earlier that a person can sin and, and live a good life. But his life, as we're going to learn today, is coming from a place of death and darkness. It's not good life. It's dark energy that the person is living from. It's literally dark and ugly energy. And... And, but the main point over here is that chas v'shalem, a person is causing the shechina to be pulled into darkness. That's called galus shechina, and that's what it means. The hay became separated from its source. Now, when, but, but the Alter Rebbe said last week and the last year that we learned that when a person does tshuva and he says, you know what, I regret what I have done, and from now on I'm going to listen and obey Hashem's commandments. So then, what he does is not only is he coming back to a good place. But he takes all that energy and all that shekhinah that he pulled with him into the negative side. As he pulls out, he pulls the shekhinah out as well. Because, back to the example, wherever you pull the rope, that's where the top of the rope goes. So if you pull the rope into the unholy, the top of the rope also goes into the unholy, sustaining the unholy. But when the person pulls the rope back into the side of Kedusha, he pulls the shekhinah back. And the shekhinah becomes reunited with its source, and it's not, the Shekhinah is not an exile anymore, the Shekhinah can again continue sustaining us and giving us vitality and life and for, for good things, and it's not going into, this, into darkness, and that's the idea of tshuva. Now, Perik Zion, the Altar Rebbe is going to say, so how do you do this? How do you do this tshuva? How do you retract and get back all that negativity? How do you make that move? And how do you do it in a substantial way? Simple answer is, what do you mean, how do you do that? You stop sinning and you start obeying what it says in the Torah. And that's all you have to do. As soon as you do that and you, and you make a decision, and I'm going to listen to what the, what the Torah tells me to do. The instructions are very clear. There is the do's and the don'ts. So you do that and you don't do that. And that's it. And it's done. 
That is true. But yet the Alter Rebbe is going to say, how do you do that in a way that is permanent and real and deep? As we're going to explain a little later, in a manner that is really going to be, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to hold out. It's not just going to be, you know, you're turning back to Hashem for a day and then you fall back into the clip again. But in a way that's permanent and real. So in order to do that, he's going to tell us in Perik Zion, it's dependent primarily two things that a person needs to do in order to be able to make this powerful yank, to yank himself out of the forces of darkness and to put himself back into a place of holiness. And as a result of that, turn around the entire cosmic flow from, from energy flowing into the negative to the energy flowing back into Kedusha. So Perek Zion, we begin chapter 7. The way of truth, the true way, and the direct way, the correct path. The true and correct path. This is on page 192 in this Tanya, uh, in, the, in the Tanya's, um, the other Tanya's, I don't have them in front of me. So you're basically on your way, on your own, to figure out where that is. Uh, it's again a Geras Achuva, chapter 7. And a Geras Achuva, chapter 7. The way of the true way, and the direct path. To do this lower teshuva that we're talking about. And this is called again, this is the lower teshuva. To fix the mess that we caused as a result of our sin. Which means, what is the lower teshuva? It's to return hey tata, the lower hey. To bring back the lower hey. Haniskaliel that we mentioned before that was impacted as a result of our misdeeds, and based varim These are two things that a person needs to do in order to accomplish this. There's two things. number one, The first thing a person has to do. Now, see, the mechanics of the doing of the tshuva that the Alter Rebbe is going to present to us in Perek Zion involves two things. The person, the human being, is made up of two souls. You're made up of your godly soul, and you're also made up of your animal soul. We have a holy side, and we have an unholy side. And the human being is a combination of both together. We're interwoven, as he explained in the first chapter of Tanya, that we all possess two nishamas, and the two nishamas make up our, our consciousness. For a tzaddik, the consciousness of a tzaddik is only his godly soul. That's his entire identity, his pure holiness. The animal soul somehow becomes completely assimilated and integrated into the, into the godly soul to the point where you don't even, can't even tell what, what's animalistic in the tzaddik. It's all pure holy and pure godly. There's no action in a tzaddik that is, that is, that is earthy. Everything the tzaddik does is heavenly. Even things that other people are to do in a very earthy manner, the tzaddik does it with such elegance, with such purpose, with such light, that he's radiating light even when he's eating or, or doing anything else. So... So the tzaddik's nefesh of Bahamas is become absorbed in his nefesh of Lekis. There's only a holy side. And then there is someone, could be the opposite, whose entire life is just one expression of animalistic ego and self, self, uh, selfishness. There's nothing there. The moment the person never thinks of, a greater, of, a, of the greater purpose of creation or something higher than himself, then that person is living his complete life as his nefesh of Bahamas, and inside his animal soul is trapped a beautiful soul that's never being expressed. So the nisham is in captivity. And then you have most all, all, all other people that are somewhere in the middle. 
In other words, we have moments in which our, we feel our godly consciousness and we want to do the right thing. And we're thinking beyond ourselves, beyond the here, the now, the me, and my own self-fulfillment. Thinking about something bigger than myself. Thinking about doing something good for humanity, for the world. And thinking about what has God put me in this world for. That's coming from your godly soul. And then we have our selfish moments when we get stuck in our animal soul. Now the problem when a person sinned is that his animal soul took became strengthened and took possession of his godly soul and his neshama is trapped. That's why you're sinning. You're sinning meaning you're not doing what the Abishter wants, which is what your neshama wants. You're doing what the animal wants. So the animal has taken this, the soul into captivity. So in order to break out of this deathly grip, it's a deathly grip, being gripped by death. In order to break out of this deathly grip, there's two things. You have to target energy to your neshama. You have to strengthen your soul. And at the same time, you have to weaken the klipa. You have to weaken the animal soul and strengthen the godly soul. So the two things that the Alter Rebbe is going to develop in this chapter of what we need to do with, one, with tshuva, it's two, it's two treatments. One of them treats the neshama to empower the soul to break out of its darkness. The other one is banging and hitting at the animal soul to break it, to weaken it, so she leaves go of the neshama and the neshama is able to free itself and then take control over the animal soul and the body and direct the person's life towards a godly and, and, higher, and a higher form of life. So these, that's why these are the two things. One is going to d- deliver p- strength to the nefesh kiss that's trapped, and the other one is going to deal with the unholy by breaking it and crushing it. So the first thing is he, being that it's chasidis, so we're going to work first with the good side, with, the, with, with, with elevating this neshama, and then we're going to work with crushing the unholy. But both of them are necessary. You can't have one without the other. Ha'echa, the first one, who's In order to, what we might call, in order to resurrect the neshama that has been fainted, the neshama that has been stuck. Like we say in Davini, how do you do, where does come from? And even when someone is already completely dead, it's Hashem is going to make Tchiyas HaMesim with Hashem's immense, infinite mercy and compassion at the life, the flow that's going to come from Hashem's feeling of kindness and compa- of mercy and compassion and pity is going to pity even the dead to enliven them. And the same is our Neshama. When our Neshama has been so, so, um, so beaten and our Neshama is so weakened and trapped in the Klippa, the only way to get her out is to evoke divine mercy. But being that the neshama is in a, in a, in a, in a, could be in a very, very, very trapped state, it's not enough to evoke ordinary mercy, but we need to bring down intense mercy. A very, very powerful aspect, a level of Hashem's mercy, of Hashem's rachmanis upon the neshama. One of them is to evoke rachamim el yoinim, supernal rachmim, mimokar harachamim, from the source of rachamim. Al nishmasai on a person's neshama. In other words, you evoke God's mercy. How do you evoke God's mercy? Hashem has to evoke its mercy. It's Hashem's mercy. You want Hashem's mercy to be evoked upon your neshama. So how are you going to evoke God's mercy? Well, so God has to do that. It's His mercy. And the answer is everything in everything above is affected by us. So if we suddenly start feeling mercy 
and, and if we feel compassion, that's a better word, if we feel compassion for our neshama, we feel terrible for our soul, by us feeling compassion for our neshama, we cause and we trigger and we evoke God's compassion. So, we have to evoke supernal compassion, but not stam, as we said earlier, not a little compassion, we have to evoke intense compassion. It's like a person sometimes is a little moved when you see someone struggling, you see someone in pain. So you can be a little moved. Sometimes you see something that is someone who was hit chas v'shalom by such a tragedy that you don't know what to do. And your mom is spring into action to try to help them. You really, really do a lot. It's different. Sometimes you give a krechts and you sigh and you feel bad for someone and that's mercy. But sometimes you're so shook into the core, you go, you turn over everything to help this person. Why? Because they reached very deep into your soul to, to, the, to, the, to the pool of compassion, to the reservoir of compassion, unleashing a torrent, literally torrents of compassion. And the same is over here. A person has to touch God's compassion at a very, very high place where the compassion is very intense. And that's why the Rebbe says, from the source of rachamim. Because you know, in general, there are two levels of rachamim. There's what we call midas harachamim, Hashem's attribute of compassion. Like we know there is seven attributes. And one of Hashem's attributes is midas hachesed, the attribute of kindness. The other attribute is midas hagavura, the attribute of gavura. The third one is midas harachamim. But that midas harachamim corresponding to the attributes of atzilus. And atzilus, there are the, the attributes of God. So in the, and that attribute is called the midah. What does midah mean? Midah means it has a measure. It's the, it's, the, it's the emotion. We call midah meaning it's the emotion of compassion, but the fact that it has a measure, because it's called midah, midah also means a measure, means that it has some limitation, or some boundaries to it, even though it's God's compassion, but yet there's still limits to it. But then there is something which is called makar harachamim, the source of rachamim. Generally, we refer to that as the Yud Gimel Midais Arachem. The 13 attributes of mercy, they're not attributes, they're not Midais, meaning measure. That's not, that's not what they are. That's literally boundless, infinite, endless compassion. The compassion of Hashem as it is still in the level of Keser, which Keser has no limitations, it has no boundaries, it's pure Ein Sof. And over there, and that's called Makar Harachamim, the source of Rachamim. And that's the place where a person has to reach. You say, how in the world? How in the world can I reach so high and stimulate in Hashem's Sephiros and beyond God's Sephiros to touch and to reach God Himself on a place so high and to shake and to stimulate and to evoke Rachmim Rabim, supernal Rachamim from such a high place? How can we do that? So he says, well, you do that by feeling tremendous compassion on your own Nishama. On one's own neshama, and one's own godly soul. Why should you have such pity on your own soul? Because you think about for one moment, and if you do a serious thought, the neshama has taken a fall. The neshama fell down from a high roof. What's the high roof from where the neshama comes from? From the fountainhead of life. There is life. Hashem is called life, right? Hashem Elokim Emes, Hashem Elokim is true. Hu Elokim Chayim, He is the God of life, because Hashem is the source, is life. But that's life. And then there is something called Chay HaChayim, the, the fountainhead of life, 
where life issues forth. Wow, that's not stamped from godliness, but that's from the core, the source, source, source. We can't even call it a place of life because life, even that is limitation. It's the source from where life comes from. And that's where every neshama is plugged into. That's where a neshama comes from. Our source of our neshama is literally rooted in the quintessence, mamish, in the quintessence of God Himself. And that's why the neshama is rooted in mocker, as He said, in b'chaya chayim baruchu, in the source of life itself. We're too, that's where the neshama comes from. And there, where has the neshama? And then the neshama has fallen. Where has it fallen? Labira amikta. The neshama fell down to a pit. But not just to a pit. The neshama fell down into a deep pit. So he just, he gives the, he gives the, uh, he gives some interesting muscle over here. Someone falls down. Someone falls down from a roof to the ground. They hurt themselves. It's a lot of pain. Fall down, chas v'shem, can break your bones. Fall down from one story, two stories. Terrible. Okay, but what happens if someone falls from a high roof? Ooh, then they could get really tzetzed. Chas It's really bad. But now to this person's mazel, not only is he falling, they were doing construction next door. Not only did he fall from a roof, but he fell into a deep pit. So he didn't only hit the ground, but he went even deeper than the ground. And not only a pit, but a deep pit. And that's how the Alter Rebbe is describing the fall of a neshama. Now let's understand why. I mean, every word, he's not, see over here, there's no stam, you know, words which, which the Alter Rebbe says because he wants to be dramatic. There's no drama in Tanya. He's just saying it as it is. The reason why he says high roof to a low, to a low pit is because high roof we understand. <laughs> there is high, that's godliness, the godly realm, the, even the hechalas of Kedusha, the olam asalyonim, the supernal world, that's called, high, that's called a roof. That's high up. But the Nisham is not coming from the Olam Yonim. The Nisham is not a creature of the higher worlds. The Nisham is a piece of God from above. And not even from the divine manifestations, which are the spheros. The Nisham comes from beyond the spheros. It comes from Hashem's Himself. And that's why it's called a high roof. Where does the Nisham come down? Coming down into this world itself, just coming down, becoming, being alive, coming into a physical body, descending into a body, is already a big fall. Because our world is considered the lowest world. The physical world, or Lamasiyah Gashmi, is it's, it's a world, not only is the Neshama descending from the divine into the creation, but in the creation itself, it's descending into a, a lower world. From all the lower worlds, the lowest world possible. That's the physical world. Okay, that's, that's by, by, by the very, that's Hashem did that. When He created us, He brought our Neshama down from a lofty place. But now, chas when a person sins, so then he took his neshama and he put a neshama down into the klipa. Klipas are lower than the world. These are the deep, dark cellars, the deep, dark, stenchy, stinking um, um, sub-cellars that there are deep underground. That's where the klipas manifest. That's the place of the bugs and the cockroaches. And that's where the person took his neshama deep, deep, deep into real darkness. Labira mikta, to a deep pit, because Hashem didn't put the neshama into tuma. Hashem put the neshama into klipas noga. Klipas noga is immediate klipa. We can move it this way, that way. But when a person sins, he takes his neshama and he puts it into the three impure klipas. That's what he says. Into the chambers of impurity. 
and then the, and the other side. Other sitrachim most of the time is a is a is a means the three impure klipas, the real real dark side of existence. So that's what it means. The neshama comes from the highest place to the lowest place. So when a person wants to do tshuva, he says a person should stop for a moment and think, how lofty is my neshama? Where does my neshama come from? And look what I've done. I've taken my neshama. And, 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 and here, not so much, here you're not really yet thinking about your fault. It's not so much yet, we're not dealing yet with the sin and beating yourself up about the guilt of what you've done. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about simply pitying the soul. Have compassion on the neshama. Look at the, be- at the neshama where the soul was, and look where the neshama has ended up now. So this is a very, very sad state. But not only that, it's not enough to think about how the neshama has fallen, but a person should also take it a step further. When the neshama has fallen, the neshama drags along with it the source of the neshama, as we said earlier, like a rope. So the shekhinah, which is the source of the neshama, has gone down with the soul wherever the soul has fallen. So if the neshama has fallen to a very dark place, it pulled the shechina, the source of the neshama, also in. And here's where a person should have pity. As strange as it sounds, a person should cry and have compassion for the shechina. Now, how I imagine how painful that is for God to end up in such a dark, lowly, horrible place. Val for its source, b'makar in the source of life. Val Makaira and on its and again and not only to have Rahmanas on his Nishama, but Val Makaira and in the core the source of the Nishama, which is which is where Bimakarachayim, Hushemavaya, the source of the Nishama, where is the Nishama's source? Where's the Nishama plugged into? Its source is the source of life, Hushemavaya Baruchu, which is God's name, and not Stam Hashem's name, because we said Hashem has many names. There's the name of Elohim. And here we're talking about the higher name, the Shem Yutkevavke, Hashem's essential name. The name, the unpronounceable name of Hashem. And, and realize that that too, the lower hay of Hashem's name, was schlepped into the darkness. And like it says in the Pasuk, how do you know that that's part of tshuva? That you're doing, you're having, you're having compassion for your own neshama and also for Hashem that you've pulled in, that a person has pulled in into the darkness. Well, the Pasuk says, a person will return to Hashem, and he will have compassion on him. Now simply the way we understand this Pasuk means, when a person does tshuva, we will return and do tshuva, and then God will have compassion and accept the person's tshuva. That's the simple meaning. That Hashem will have compassion on the person. But the Altar Rebbe learns that's not, that's not what it means. Another, the Yashav el do tshuva to Hashem, the and the person should have Rachmanis, should have compassion on the Shem Avaya, on Yud Vavke. He should have mercy, feel terrible for Hashem, because Hashem, uh, the, the Shekhinah, has been pulled into the darkness. Piddish, what does that mean? to evoke mercy, al Baruchu, on the Hashpa. Of the Shema Vaya of Yudke, of the, the influence of the Shema Vaya. Because what, what does it mean you pull the Shema Vaya? We said earlier, Hashem gives life to the world. The Shechin is the plane, the final pipeline where the energy comes to the creation. We can pull the hose. Wherever we pull that hose, that's where it's going to water. If we pull it into negative things, that's where the Shechin is giving life. So, on the Hashpa of Shema Vaya, Shenishtal Shalah that descended through a chain like progression. The Yarda and it descended 
into the chambers of the other side, hatmeim that are impure, that are defiled, lahachiyosam to give them life. So the shechina was forced to descend into them like a soul going into a body. To in, like, like we know how terrible it would be when a person would realize chas v'shalom the idea of a gilgal, not a gilgal stam, a gilgal another person, but a, 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 a um, what is it called? A, um, well, a di- not a dibuk, no. Uh, when a person is in a, um, a uh, no, it means a Gilgal, but when a Nisham is in a Gilgal in an animal or in a cat, it's a horrible thing. When a soul, is a, a human soul, ended up being placed in a cat. And how, 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 how what? Yeah, it gets, it gets stuck there, how painful it is for that. So here, Mamish, the Shechina is pulled in to be, to be sustaining really, really ugly forces, forces that are, Horrible, and the Shekhinah knows how horrible they are, even more than, we look at them and also say, well, we're, we're uphold by horror when we see evil, how ugly it is. And the Shekhinah has to sustain them. So that's terrible. And through what? They might say, and through the deeds of, of a person, and a person scheming. And just the negative thoughts, even if a person never sinned. Just the mere fantasy and the thinking of negative things, you're putting your mind into klipa, into impurity. Yechaz v'shalim, pulling the shechina down into that darkness. And like it says in the Pasuk, Melech Asur Berahotim. It's a Pasuk in Shir Hashir. It says a king that is tied Berahotim. What are Rahatim? Rahatim are channels of water. Where the water, where water flows, like little troughs, where the where little, little canals, where you have water flowing. So it says the king is tied berahatim in these canals. So what does it mean the king is tied in the canals? So what he says is, the Zohar translates that berahatim means berihita moicha, in the running of the waters of the mind. The mind is constantly quickly thinking. It thinks many, many thoughts. We're always thinking thoughts. The mind is racing. The thoughts always race. So the Zohar says, when it says the king is tied in the rahatim, it means that the quick thoughts that a person has, the torrents of thoughts that go through our mind are all ropes that keep the Shekhinah stuck and tied, literally bound in exile. What does he mean by that? Something very, very, very powerful. We all understand that if we're meditating on something dark, on something ugly, okay, then we're mamish, of course, then we're pulling the Shekhinah down in those thoughts. But how about if we're not even thinking deeply into these things? Okay, that's, of course, then the Shekhinah is really tied and locked. You're taking energy, taking your Neshama. And your Neshama and the Shekhinah are one thing. So when you bring your Neshama into the darkness, the Shekhinah goes along. So if you're thinking pre-meditated, you're consciously, and, the, and you really want to think negative thoughts, of course the Shekhinah is being roped and bonded and tied in these thoughts. But even if it's just the quick thoughts that keep on running through our minds, but some of them are impure. We're just, we're humans, so that's what happens. We, we see this, we see that, this sparks a thought, this gives us, and even if we push them away, but if we let them linger even just for a split second extra, then they need to, that's another rope, another bound, another cord, tying, bounding the Shechina, because the Shechina is stuck in these unholy places. So, so the Rebbe, the Rebbe is trying, Alter Rebbe is trying to show that even this, you don't have to have done a really, really ugly, horrible sin to, to do this tshuva. Even for minor little things, this is part of a person's understanding that they're, they're keeping the Shechina in, in, in exile. This is the exile of the Shechina, as we said earlier. 
So therefore, it's, a person shouldn't only think of the, de de the degradation and the shame of one's own neshama. This is very shameful for the soul. It's very, very embarrassing for the soul. A soul that is so lofty, so godly, is ending up stuck in, 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 the, in the filth, and smelly, and in the darkest places. But not only that, think about the Shekhinah as well, what, you, what a person has done to the Shekhinah. Why is that so important? I mean, there's, 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 of course. But why? For, to bring yourself to a broken heart, and to bring yourself to a feeling compassion. So, see, sometimes like a person is, is, is uh, a person could, for himself, a person can say, you know what? It's a Rahmanas on me, but I can forgive already. No, this is who I am. Finished. But for the Shekhinah, you can't say, you know, the Shekhinah Chas deserves this. See, even though you, your Neshama doesn't even deserve it. You know, you can't be Michael for your Neshama. It's your Neshama. It's not really yours. It's a piece of Hashem from above. But even if a person will say, you know, my Neshama, I'll be Michael. It's like, for instance, um, someone is doing, you know, shady business or all kinds of stuff that are not exactly that good. And then they get and they become friends with the prince. And together they get involved with this business. He gets the prince to come along with him and he tells him and he invests over here, and he starts doing all kinds of stuff, then they get busted. And they get busted and they're thrown into jail. So this guy who's been in jail already twenty times. He's sitting in jail. To him he doesn't care. He's used to sitting with the rats. He's used to eating. He's used to, he's used to sleeping on the hard floor. He's used to leaving the cold cellar. So, you know, it's one thing. He can forgive. But it hurts him very much that he's sitting with the prince. Like, look, he's gotten the prince into this. Mele can be Michael on his own thing. But look what he did to the prince. So in this case, it's the same thing. Mele, you know, your person might say, my own neshama, but this is the, this is the shechina as well. But what? How can I have done this to the shechina? So this is painful. And the time that is mesugal, the time that is the most appropriate for this, when should a person evoke this compassion and literally f cry for their soul? This is the, there's an appropriate time for this. This is at midnight. Look in the Siddur. The Siddur, he means his own Siddur. There is a Siddur of the Tanya, of the Alter Rebbe, with, with, um, with uh, Hasidus. And in that Siddur, he explains why at midnight is the time for a person to make this this time, because nighttime is a time, daytime is a time of joy, serving Hashem with joy, and nighttime is a time of bitterness, a holy bitterness, feeling bad about this. And that's why it says over there, where? In Tikkun Chatzais, for those who say Tikkun Chatzais, in Tikkun Chatzais it says, Nothla Ateres Rashenu, it has fallen, the crown of our head has fallen. Woe to us, kichatanu, that we have sinned. What does that mean? Our crown of our head has fallen. Woe to us that we have sinned. The crown of the head. The head is a person's neshama. That's your head. The crown of your head is the neshama, the source of your neshama, which is the shekhinah. And we're saying, nafla, as a result of the person's sins, nafla, ateres roshenu, the crown of my head has fallen down, which means the shekhinah has fallen down. Why has the Shekhinah fallen down? Woe to us, kichatanu. As a result of our sins, the Shekhinah has fallen. And that is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called, because of this idea, Melech Olov, the shamed king, the embarrassed king. Hashem is called the embarrassed king, 
in the Pirkei Hechalas, which is a kind of a medrash, it refers to God as a king who is ashamed. Can you imagine how, how much is a king ashamed when he is he's the king and suddenly people see him walking with shackles and being led away by others? It's the biggest embarrassment. He is supposed to be the most all-powerful king, the controller of everyone, and the king is being led away in chains. He doesn't look at anybody. He looks down. He's so embarrassed. It's the biggest embarrassment that the king has to be taken away in shackles. But the Abishter, God himself, is called Melech Olov because he, he gets taken into the there isn't a greater embarrassment or a greater shame than this. And to, in order to intensify the feeling of mercy, that a person should feel rachamim on Hashem, on the Shekhinah, and more, more, more specifically, when the person, when, when, a, when a wise person will be mizbonen, will contemplate, in other words, to make matter, to, to really feel the intent, the, the greatness of this, or the, the great pity over here is when a person meditates on Hashem's greatness, that Hashem is infinitely great, and he fills all worlds, and he encompasses all worlds. That means he's, Hashem is infinite and endless and is the entire power of all of existence. And then realize if this great and awesome king, how terrible it is that he is being trapped. By the, by the forces of the chitzonim, of the unholiness. And everybody is able to appreciate God's greatness, Hashem's infinite greatness, according to, them, to the capacity of their intellect, and their understanding. So everybody, in accordance to the depth of their understanding, this is going to bring a person to a very deep bitterness. This is going to lead a person to a bitterness that's very strong bitterness. Because again, in, 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 in equivalence and commensurate to how much a person appreciates how great, has a sense of the greatness of the Eibishter, and then you can feel how the bigger Rachmanes it is that the Eibishter has been trapped in exile. So that's one aspect. To feel compassion for the neshama. That's how you do tshuva. You cry for your soul. And you cry for the soul source that has been chas v'shalem, been negatively impacted, to say it in the easiest way, or the lightest way, just now, by a person's sin. Ba'abeiz, that's number one. Ba'abeiz, then comes the second work. We said earlier, you need to strengthen your neshama. This is how you strengthen your neshama. Because when you draw down divine compassion, see, see what's happening is like this. When you're, when you're feeling compassion for your neshama, and you suddenly are overtaken with a strong, powerful sense of rachamim for your soul, you feel very, very bad for your soul. You feel a lot of pain for your soul. As you're directing that mercy on your neshama, you're causing God's infinite mercy to descend also on the Shekhinah, and to also descend on your neshama to help the neshama break out of that klipa and be reunited with its source, come out of its darkness. The person is directing that divine mercy. And the more intense you feel it, the higher of God's rachamim you're reaching. Because we said earlier, just like in a person, there is the external rachamim, and there's the internal mercy, and the inner, 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 deep, deep, deep mercy, which you only feel when something shakes you to the core. 
So the same is also, so when a person is shooken to the core by, by this contemplation, what does this do? It shakes, so to speak, the infinite also to the core to evoke rachamim on the neshama. And the second thing is Now, the Alter Rebbe began this chapter by saying The true path and the direct path Now again, as we mentioned many times Tanya, every word is every word is incredibly accurate not only that, but, but it's, besides every word having meaning, al-pipshat, also has deep, deep Kabbalistic secrets in every, every little nuance of Tanya. The Alter Rebbe began, Derecha emes vahayashar, the way of truth, the direct and true way. Lebchenas tshuva in order to do this tshuva, is by doing two things. What does it mean, Derecha emes vahayashar? So we said that he's going to tell us over here that there are two things you need to do. One of them is to boost your neshama and say, Oy Nebuch, look at this poor soul. It's Nebuch withering in pain. It's in such a dark place. What can I do to pick my neshama up and to elevate it? And the other one is to break the ego, the other side of the person that's the cause of all of this, that has the chutzpah to ignore the greater, the greater, the greater reality, and just think about having fun or a good time, and having a, and, and and getting some some personal gratification on the expense of this great cosmic mess that they're going to cause. So the ego needs to take a beating, and the ego beating is what he's going to speak about now. How you do that? How you break that? Those. That's the meaning of derecha ms vayashar ms is related to the first half of what he's speaking over here, which is Rachamim, because we know Emes and Rachamim are related to each other, because Emes and Rachamim are both the Midah of Yaakov. Yaakov is Teferes, and Teferes is called Yaakov is Titen Emes Yaakov, and Yaakov is also the Baal HaRachamim, Teferes is Rachamim. So the Emes that he speaks about earlier, Derecha Emes, is related to the first half of the Perek, or the first idea that he speaks about, being Maora Rachamim for the Neshama. And Yashar, the direct path, is more related to, to the second half of what we're going to speak about now, and that is to be harsh with one's ego. And that is Yashar. What's the connection of that being Emes and that being Yashar? So the, the, uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, who was a great Kabbalist, makes a very short note on these words, and he explains that and then his son, the Rebbe, goes in and, and, and explains that the whole Perik of Tanya is really giving, that these, this little insight that his father gives, gives a very rich understanding and the whole idea of what this Perik is coming to say. Not only this parak, but the last three chapters is being a very enriched and a very deep understanding in the whole thing based on these two words, derecha emes v'hayasha. He says just a quick thing. He says that, malch, that the, 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 the main impact that the person had as a result of their sin, we said earlier, is galus hashchina. They caused the shechina to fall. Galus hashchina is the galus to the element of malchus. God's kingship is not in the right place. 
Instead of God being the king of the world, instead of Mashiach being the king of the world, instead of King David being the king over the world, we have other rulers who are ruling the world and doing all kinds of other stuff that are not good for the world and not good for, for, for Kedusha. So that means the, the, the kingship is hijacked. What needs to happen is the kingship has to be restored. So we have to build Malchus. The Malchus of the Ebeshter has to be rebuilt. Malchus is built up primarily through two spheres. There are two spheres that strengthen Malchus. What are the two spheres that strengthen Malchus? Tiferes and Yesod. The two spheres of Tiferes and Yesod build Malchus. Now, if anybody remembers the share that we just gave on the month of El, just last week, we spoke that Binyan Malchus is related to building the Kesser of Malchus, the crown of Malchus, and building the Das of Malchus. So when you right away, when you learn this, you get a little confused. You say, he says over there that the two primary, the two primary uh, powers in Malchus are Das and Kesser. And we spoke about it that in that shear, I don't know how many of you listened to that, to that, to that shear, but it's a very insightful shear about the month of Elul. So in that shear we explain that in order for the king to want to be a king, the two, there's two things. It needs to be the pleasuring kingship. The king has to have a delight in being a king. A delight in being a king. That's the, 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 the Kesar Malchus, a pleasure in being a king. And the second Indian in being a Melech is the Das of Malchus. And the Das of Malchus means the king has to feel his subject. He has to connect to his subject. First he has to want it. If he doesn't want, see the king is in a place where he can't feel his subjects because he's infinitely beyond them. If he's worthy to be a king, he's totally beyond them. There's no connection. If he, is, if, he is, if he has a relationship with them and relative to the, and has a certain relativity between him and them, then why should he be the king over them? King means he's totally controlling them. Means he's totally above them. If he's totally above them, why should he even want to connect to them, to rule them? It's because, so that has to do with Kesar Malchus. He has to have a pleasure in the side that that's what he wants. That's what Rosh Hashanah is all about, blowing shofar, evoking within the Abishter a pleasure in being a king. But once he has a pleasure, which is a very deep internal thing, then he has to make the connection to actually feel his subjects and to know what they need and be caring for them. And that's the Das of Malchus. That's why we said in that year that the two primary forces that have to be constructed in Malchus is the Kesar of Malchus and the Das of Malchus. True. Ovi, now we're saying that the two builders of Malchus are Teferis and Yesod. So how does it fit with what we're learning? It fits exactly with what we're learning. The Teferis, the Teferis is what's Mashpia, the Kesar in Malchus. Was the crown of Malchus is receiving its crown, its pleasure from Teferis. Teferis, the higher attribute of Teferis, is channeling chesed, chasadim, energy into, into, into Malchus to give Malchus the Kesar Malchus. The Yesoid, of, the attribute of Yesod, channels um, energy into the Das of Malchus. So Das is a recipient, becomes enriched. Das becomes energized through the Yesoid of Malchus. And Keser Malchus becomes energized through the Teferis of Malchus. So Teferis is, enriches the Keser, and, and Yesod enriches the Das. Okay? So therefore, he said, I'm going to understand that maybe a little later, but for now, that's what he says means. Derech ha-emes, oh wait, that's where it's, in, it says in Chumash, it says we, whenever we lay on Rosh Chodesh, we read, uverashe chachechem, and the Musaf of Rosh Chodesh also. When you daven, 
you say over Rosh Chodeshem, and in and, and on Rosh Chodesh. Now, if you translate it literally, it means over Rosh Chodeshem, and in the heads, the heads plural of your Chodesh. Now, simply, it's because you have twelve months, so you have twelve heads over Rosh Chodeshem. But here's where you get to see how the little the, the words that we take for granted in davening are speckled with such amazing Kabbalistic ideas. So the Zohar says, when it says, Chodesh is Malchus. As we know many places, the month, Chodesh is Malchus. Because Chodesh means Chidush. The, the moon, Malchus is the moon, the moon is always renewed every month. Malchus is called Chodesh. The moon, Malchus, is Chodesh. Chodesh has Rashim has two heads. What are the heads? The heads are mashpia. The heads are mashpia to Malchus. Malchus has to receive vitality from somewhere. From her husband, from Teferes, from Ze'er Anpin. Ze'er Anpin is mashpia to Malchus from two channels. From Teferes and from Yesod. Two channels where, 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 where Ze'er Anpin give energy to Malchus. That's why it's called Verashe Chachechem, the Zohar says. That Chodesh, which is Malchus, has two Rashim, two heads, Teferes and Yesod. That's what the Alter Rebbe is hinting to over here. Since Malchus has been broken as a result of our sins, the He has become disconnected from the Vav and the He and the Yud, but primarily from the Vav. So her husband, the Vav, has to bend down to pick up the Shechina, to pick up the He. Now, when the, the husband, the vav, is going to pick up the hay, he's going to be mashpia from two, from two points in him. From his teferes and from his yesod. Into. That's why the Alter Rebbe begins, There is the way of emes and yashar. To fix malchus, it requires the way of emes and yashar. Emes is teferes. Like we know, we said many times, Teferes is Yaakov, Avram is Chesed, Yitzchak is Gevura, Yaakov is Teferes, and Yaakov we know is Emes, Titan Emes le Yaakov, Yaakov is Teferes, so Teferes is called Emes, and Yesod is called Yashar. It's called uh, Yashar. What exactly is the proof that Yesod is called Yashar? Oh, it says in the Pasuk, he tzaddik v'yashar hu. He's a tzaddik v'yashar. And we know that tzaddik is Yesod. Yosef at tzaddik, Yosef is Yesod. Tzadik Yisodo, it says a Pasuk, Tzadik Yisod Oilam. Pasuk says, Tzadik V'yashar Hu. So Yashar is related to the attribute of Yisod. So when he begins, Derech HaEmez V'hayashar, he's referring to the energy that needs to be drawn from Teferes and to Yisod. So that's what Rebbe Levi Yitzchak says, is the meaning of these two words in the Tanya. Good, it's a very nice little, uh, a little, um, we'll call it a little nugget, Kabbalah nugget, that decorates the Egeris Achuva and sort of lightens it because we were learning over here, it's a little heavy on the heart. The subject matter gets a little heavy because we're dealing with the Ebershtis Golas as a result of our sins. So it's nice to learn something that gives a little sparkle and a little thing to lift the spirits up. But really, the Rebbe says that my father, his father, when he says this little Indian of Emes V'yashar, it's not stam because he wants to brighten up the Tanya with Kabbalistic insights. It's because by adding those two little insights, he opens up the much deeper understanding in this whole chapter, in this whole parak of what is being said. So the idea is as follows. 
We can ask, if you remember from last year, when we began learning the Egeris HaTshuva, the Alter Rebbe explained in Tanya, in, in Egeris HaTshuva, that what is the essence of Tshuva? What is, what is the definition of Tshuva? Definition of Tshuva, he says, is one thing. Tshuva, a sin means a person has broken, has removed the yoke of God. God is supposed to be our king, and we are his subjects, and we listen to him. When a person sins, they basically said, God, you're not my boss, I do what I want. Okay? I'm a free person. I'm independent. I'm not, sub I'm not subject to your authority. What is tshuva? The Alter Rebbe says it's not fasting. It's not mortifications. It's not even crying. It's not weeping. It's none of that. It's one thing. It's the acceptance of the yoke of heaven. Saying, I am now going to listen. That's the essence. So he breaks it down. He says that's the essence. That's tshuva. Tshuva means to return. Return to what? Return to obedience. You, you misbehave, return to obedience. That's true. Then he said, there is aspects of fasting, and all, but that's all condiments. That's all adds on the, to, well, in order to make yourself back as desirable to Hashem, like before the sin, to find favor in God's eyes. But that's not the essence of tshuva. The essence of tshuva is one thing, returning to Hashem and saying, from now on I'm going to obedient, be obedient, I'm going to listen to you. After he finishes explaining that in the first three chapters, he starts and he says, to understand how to do tshuva properly, I have to introduce to you the concept of tshuva al-pidera chasod, based on the secret Kabbalistic idea of tshuva, when we'll get into the mystical aspect of tshuva, then you'll understand, then ha-hechrech. In other words, if ha he begins in Perek Dal, it's very, very interesting Lashen. He says over there, he says, um, the, the beginning of doing tshuva, the ikra and its core, to return to Hashem with truth and with a complete heart. I must explain to you. He says, if you want to do tshuva with a full heart, we must explain, not stam explain, sabir. I have to now elaborate a whole explanation of what tshuva is al pisod. What's tshuva al pisod? So he starts taking us into the upper realms. Like th this idea is that if you don't learn Hasidis or Kabbalah, you wouldn't know. No, someone can learn all the, all the svarim on tshuva. You can learn Rabbeinu Yonah, which talks about tshuva, and many other svarim in the, Hilchus, in the Rambam, Hilchas tshuva. You're learning tshuva al pipshat. What do you need to do to be tshuva? Okay, this is what you need to do. Stop sinning. He boiled it down to stop sinning. Then he goes and he tells you a whole story. And as a result of a person's sin, the Nisham is plugged into the highest places. When a person sins, he drags that hashpa down into the wrong places. And now Tashavay means to do tshuva, do what? It means to bring it back to its, to its source. And how do you do that? So he says, how do you do that? Two things. Two things. Number one, you have to feel mercy for your soul. Simply, it means weep for your soul, cry for your neshama. Feel compassion for your neshama and for the shechina. Number two, break the ego. Crush your, crush your ego. Crush the part in you that made you sin in the first place. Demolish it, destroy it. And that, and when you do that, oh, that's the derech amiti, that's the real way to tshuva tata. That's how you do the lower tshuva. And you, one could ask and wonder, wait, hold, hold it, hold it. Isn't tshuva what we spoke earlier, just accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven 
and saying, I'm going to be a good boy or a good girl. I'm going to do whatever the Abishter wants. I'm going to behave. That's tshuva. He said that earlier. That's the essence of tshuva, the mitzvah of tshuva. Suddenly he's introducing a whole story that we have to have mercy on our neshama, mercy on God. And what happens if a person makes a firm resolve never to sin again? They make a strong resolve and they start listening, but they don't cry for their neshama and cry for the shechina. And what happens if a person doesn't feel totally brokenhearted because of the sins that they've done with a crushed ego? What happens if they're feeling perfectly fine, they wake up one day and they say, I am changing my life. I am now on going to listen to what the Torah says. That's true. And let's understand something. Is, let's say the person doesn't know anything about the higher aspects of what he did as a result of his sins, that he drags the Shekhinah down. Most people don't know this. Most people in the world don't know this. Most Jews don't know this. Most religious Jews don't know this. Most observant Jews don't know this. And many Hasidic Jews don't know this. I mean, many people don't know this. When you know this. You know this if you learn. You learn. So... But yet, is tshuva not tshuva? Of course tshuva is tshuva. And let me ask you the question, when someone does tshuva, and they make a firm resolve n- n- never to do it again, and to do tshuva, doesn't that return the, the energy of the Shekhinah back to its place? If you don't cry for the Shekhinah, doesn't just the tshuva, just the turnaround, I am not going to do this anymore. Well, it seems that's what the Alter Rebbe said in Perek Vav, he said, yeah, after we finished explaining the whole mess, how you drag the Shekhinah's energy down into the wrong places, he says, When a person does a proper tshuva, what happens? He takes the hashpa back from the klipa, and he puts it back into Kedush. Why? Does it, it's not, it doesn't take to be a, a rocket scientist why that happens. If I am not going to be any more hanging out in the hecholas of the sitra, why are you dragging the shechina? Why is a person dragging the shechina down in the hecholas of the sitra? Because he's there. Why is he there? Because he's sinning. The moment he starts listening to the shulchan aruch, he starts listening to the shulchan aruch literally as a dry, like a dry litvak. He doesn't know anything about these high, high spiritual things. Learning, plain, Rabbeinu Yonah, shulchan aruch. The Rambam, I'm now going to do this, I'm going to correct this, I'm not going to do this ever again. Fine. He takes the, the energy of the, he's no more in the Hechalas of the Sitra Achra. He is hanging out in holiness, and who's coming along with him? The Shechina. And everything is back. So if that's the case, why do I need three chapters over here explaining this whole Indian episode to, to even if he wants to tell us that there is an Indian in Shuv of bringing the Shechina back, but that doesn't need this whole rachmim, rabim, and the whole compassion, just do it and get it done with, with simple rectification on a resolve to, 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 be, to, be, to be a good Jew. The answer to that answer is all hinted in these two words. Derech emes v'hayashar. The way of emes and the way of yashar. And the reason for that is, of course you can do tshuva. And just without learning Yigeres tshuva, and just doing, as we said before, just accepting upon yourself obedience, you've already done tshuva, and you've brought the Shekhinah back to its place. But, if you want that tshuva to be bederech emes v'hayashar, what does that mean, bederech emes v'hayashar? See, emes always means, what does true mean? You can do something, you can make up your mind, you can change your ways, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. True 
is true means that it's rooted in a deep place inside of you. It's who you are. It's who you are. Um, if you happen to behave in a certain way, but it's not, you don't feel comfortable with it. It's not, you don't feel that this is, this is, this, this is what you want to be, or this is your, then even though you're acting that way, and you might act that way, but there is a certain lack of MS, of truth to that. Because like a person will say, I'm not true to myself. That's not really what I want to be doing. That's not where my passion is, where my fervor, where my, where my energy is at. I, I, I'm just doing so and so because I'm doing so and so. In order for it to be MS, means that there is a panemius. Now, if we think about, just for one moment, we, we, we mentioned earlier that what needs to be rectified over here is what was breached. What was breached? Malchus was breached. The Abishter's kingship was breached. The Abishter's kingship was broken. And particularly in its relationship with the person. God is my king and it has been broken. We need to restore that. Restoring the Abishter's um, malchus on a person is really in essence only one thing. Kabbalah's oil, we said earlier, Kabbalah's oil malchus shemayim. Accepting the yoke, accepting the yoke of heaven. That's how you restore uh, the the Abishta's kingship is by, by accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. What does it mean to accept in, accepting the, the yoke of heaven? Primarily, it means in behavior, in action. You will, I will do what Hashem wants me to do. I will refrain from doing that which Hashem does not want me to do. Which means, by definition, when someone is accepting, when someone accepts the... Which is a very external thing. What do I mean external thing? Kabbalah's oil, generally, it's possible for it to be in a very chitzonius way. Chitzonius way means my heart and soul is not in it. My neshama is not in it. I don't have any desire. I don't like this. Quite on the contrary, it actually says so by a servant. It says by a regular evad. The nature of an evad is, the nature of a servant is, avda b'hifkeira nichalei. An evad wants a servant. The nature of a servant is that he doesn't want to work. Every day he's hoping it's a day off. He has no choice because he's afraid of his master, so he goes to work. That, that's what it means, the acceptance of the yoke. What, is, what does a yoke mean? A, a cow has a yoke, an ox has a yoke. Why do you put the yoke on the cow? Because without that yoke, the cow is not... You want to move 400 pounds of meat in one direction. It should do, go here and do what you want it to do. You got to put this big heavy metal on it and it's going to force it to go against what, it's, what, it, what it would want to do. It wants to munch grass, it wants to lay on the grass, and it wants to lay around and whatever, do whatever it is. The fact that it's doing what you want, it's only through a yoke that you force it to do it. Accepting the yoke of heaven means, it doesn't make, I dismiss, it doesn't make a difference what I feel, it doesn't make a difference what I, what I want to do. I don't want to learn now, I want to lay in bed now. I don't want to go daven now, I want to eat now. I want to, I have all the other things I wanted, I'm not interested. And, I, and, and then there's food that looks very tasty. If it's not that kosher, maybe. I have a little question. But you know what? I'm hungry anyways. I'm going to eat it. Because I, I, I really want it. But I'm not going to do it. Why? Why am I not going to do it? Because I have the yoke of heaven. So the nature of Kabbalah's oil, in, in, by, by, its, by its very definition, Kabbalah's oil, Malchus Shamayim, is re relates to the most external aspect of a person's being. Behavior. Compliance and behavior. That's why earlier also, 
When the Alter Rebbe speaks about the four letters of God's name that are in the Neshama, Yud K Vav K, he says the latter He is Hashem's Malchus. And what does it mean in the Neshama? It means serving Hashem b'machshava dibur So Thought, speech, and action. I think what I'm supposed to think, I say what I'm supposed to say, and I do what I'm supposed to do. Even if internally, I really don't like it. Even though I'm totally not, not with the program inside, but I do it anyways because so I must do, because I have God's yoke of heaven upon me. Right? This type of a Kabbalah's oil malchushamayim, even though it is Kabbalah's oil malchushamayim, it's there's something lacking. Why is it lacking? Because it's not emes. Why is it not emes? Because it's not built on a panemistic identification with a person's emotionally wanting to be a servant or deeply appreciating his service. Based on what? It's based on up there. In, in, in the source, in the source of Malchus, where we speak of the Eberster's kingship, the Eberster's Malchus. The Eberster's Malchus, we said earlier from the, from the, um, from the, uh, from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, when he explains the words, Derech Emes Vahayasha. What is Derech Emes Vahayasha? He said, Emes is Teferes, and Yasha is Yisoyed. And these are the two mashpiyim into Malchus. What does that mean? That Malchus, even, Malchus is not constructed from within herself. Malchus is based on deeper sephiros. Even though Malchus is about Hashem exercising control over the world, it's all about Hashem giving an edict and giving orders. But those orders are based on what? What is Malchus based on? Who builds Malchus? Teferes and Yesod. Which means there are deeper midas which Malchus is growing out of. Malchus is not just a shell of the Eberster's dominance over the world. It's emanating from deep emotions. It's emanating from the Teferis of the Eberster. It's emanating from the Yesoid. They're channeling their energy into Malchus, and that's how they're, binyan, they're, they're creating Binyan HaMalchus. So the same is also in the human being. We're the recipients, we're the other side of Malchus. We are the servants. The Eberster is the Melech. And our Malchus... Our malchus is our servitude. Our servitude as well should be built on a deeper identification with the Eberster's malchus more than just more than just being like a robot doing that which needs to be done, complying with the final halacha, but there should be... How does that work? A Jew's Kabbalah's oil malchus shamayim is not an external thing. A Jew's Kabbalah's Oil Malchus is connected to the fact that the Jew is a chelik alakayim emal. A yid's neshama emanates from Hashem. And therefore, deeply embedded in the neshama is a sense of the Abishter being a melech. And my entire existence grows out. I emerge into beingness from the Abishter's desire that he should be my melech and I will be his subject. So this is not an encroachment on my existence. This is not some alien force who is now dictating me, who's nebach, stopping me from doing whatever I want to do and I have to do what he wants me to do. That's not what it is because the Jew senses deeply in his neshama that his entire existence, his hands, his feet, his brains, his nose, his toes, his everything that he has, every aspect of him, his soul, his body, is all emanating from Hashem's desire to be a king over him. So for me, this is, this is, who I'm, this is what I'm all about. I'm all about this submission. 
And therefore, when I am submitting to the Abishter, I'm doing it with simcha, with joy, with my entire... I have a plet. Of course, the Kabbalah, the root of it is, I'm accepting the yoke. And I'm doing it because I have to, not because I want to. But yet, that itself, that I'm doing what I have to do, gives me a thrill, is my entire being. Is my... Is my is, why? Without an Ashama, we couldn't do that. But because our neshama is rooted in a lakus, in the divine, we sense the MS of Hashem's malchus, and we sense it deeply in our neshama, and as a result of that, our Kabbalah Surah Malchus can be a panemius figure one, a deep inner type of a Kabbalah Surah Malchus a deep, a one with a deep, uh, and that's the meaning, and that's what we get from what he's explaining over here. That's where you get that's what he's saying, derech emes. Of course a person can very coldly and calculatedly know. Okay, a person follows the clock. It's like a real, like a very, very time seasoned. Very, and you can follow the clock like, like, like a sense like a yekka. You know, you go through the seasons. Now it's, now we sing Chagadya, uh, and now we move to the next thing. Oh, Elo, acceptance of the yoke of God. And, he can, and a person can really be disciplined and say I'm doing it and maybe it will last maybe it won't last but if it's just a very external type of Kabbalah without inner identification in the aspect of the Ebershtah's Malchus and how we affect God's kingship and how the good deeds that we do is empowering God we're, we're expressing God's kingship if we're not I realize the entire depth of it and I'm emotionally involved in it and how do you know you're emotionally involved? What's the sign that you're deeply from an inner place identifying and sensing God's kingship? Sensing the MS of his, of his malchus? If you can, can have compassion on him. If you, can have, if, if, you're not, if you can't have compassion on the Abishter, obviously, if you're not, if, if you're not, see, if something is very distant, removed from you, you can't have compassion on it. If you have compassion on, 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 on the Shekhinah, it means that, the, that you sense the Shekhinah. You're sensing, or you can't passion something you don't sense. So therefore, the 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 rachamim that he's speaking about over here is a is actual. It's it's crucial for the malchus for your kabbalas oil malchus shemayim to be a panemius dega oil malchus shemayim, which means it should be an emes dega oil malchus Shouldn't be something that is just superficial and therefore temporary and terminating. It should be a true and emestic Kabbalah social coming from your panemius. When it's coming from, and it's similar to above, you build Malchus. How does the Abishter build Malchus? He builds Malchus through Sphiras Atiferes. You build your Malchus through Rachamim, through mercy on the, on the, on the destroyed Malchus. Your Malchus has been crushed. Your Malchus is laying in shambles and in ruins. So now you have Rachamim on that Malchus on that breach of the Abishter's Malchus, that's your identity. He adds another interesting thing. He says, see, in order to, for a servant, to be a servant, and to have Kabbalah's oil in a, in a real way to his master, there are really two things that are necessary. Think about two things. He said, number one, you have to feel your master. A servant who doesn't feel that this is the master, he never really got it. He never really, he never really, he never, like a, sometimes you have a new servant. He comes into the house and everybody's very obedient, but he's not, he's not used to this whole thing. He doesn't know what this means to be a servant. So it takes him a little while till he suddenly realizes there's no monkey business over here. This guy's really the boss. 
Sometimes you have a new employee and it's a very strict <laughs> workplace and this guy just doesn't realize that there are certain uh, rules and regulations and everybody obeys, but they're just an oibachachem, like say a wise, a wise guy. And, then, and they get into big trouble and they get themselves fired or whatever it is because they're not, they're not following the, because they don't have a sense of the reality that there really is a boss here who's really in charge and you have to listen to him. So in our case, the person has to feel God's authority, okay, number one. Number two, it's not just enough to feel thing, but sometimes a person can feel the master very much, but if they're very spoiled and they're very used to doing whatever they, are, they want, so even though you're the boss, but I really, I feel myself very strongly and whatever I want is very, very, very important, and therefore when I want something, nothing stops me. That's, that's, um, that can contradict even the fact that you feel your boss. So therefore you need to have two aspects in order to acclimate, in order to really, really bring about a emestiga kabbalas oil malchashamayim, a real kabbalas oil malchashamayim requires two elements. Number one, you have to feel the melech. You have to feel the abishter very much. Number two, the, you have to rein in the ego. When the ego is very, very, very spoiled, when the ego is very full of itself, and very, very farklipid, very bloated, then it's not, even, though the, even if it feels God as a melech, but it doesn't know how to harness itself. That's why it requires two aspects. The, 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 the servant needs discipline, and the king has to be revealed. The, the boss has to be revealed. These are the two things that he's explaining over here in, in, in the Tanya. The, 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 the first Indian, the Rachamim Rabim, feeling compassion for the Abishter's Malchus, that's feeling the Abishter. It's feeling God to the point that you can have compassion on him. You're feeling the Abishter as a Melech. And how wrong it is when the Melech is not being treated properly. You're feeling in a very sharp way to the point that he moves you to tears. You feel the king so strongly. But on the other hand, that's not enough. Because if you're trained your ego to get its way all the time, so it's taka very good, I know I'm hurting you, God, and you're the power and you're the master and everything, but still, I still like doing what I like doing. So for that, we need the second half of what he's going to explain now, which is the idea of yashar. What's derech ha-yashar? Yashar, yashar is the second half, as we spoke earlier, the breaking of the klipa. The breaking of the klipa is by taking the klipa to task, minimizing and diminishing the ego. Which that's, related to Yesod. Teferes gives the chesed element, chesed, the chesed in Tamalchus. What's the chesed in Tamalchus? The feeling of the, 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 it shines light in Tamalchus. It gives the expansiveness in Tamalchus. Yesod gives in Tamalchus also something, but what does Yesod give in Tamalchus? Yesod gives in Tamalchus gevura. Malchus is based on chesed and gevura. It needs two things to build it. The Teferes builds the chasadim in Malchus, and Gevurais are built through the Yesoid of Malchus. Like, where do we find that Yesoid is all about Gevura? It speaks about when, when um, Yosef Atzadik spoke to the, to the Shvatim, they came back to Yaakov and they said like this, Diber ha'ish adoyne ha'aretz itanu kashos. The man, the master of the, of the land, spoke to us harsh words. And everything in the Torah has a Kabbalistic meaning. Simply they mean, they said, this guy was very tough with us. The deeper meaning, Yosef is Yesod. And he's speaking to the Shvatim, which means he's speaking to Malchus. And what is he saying to them? He spoke to them tough. Because Yosef, who is Yesod, is Mashpia Gevurois into Malchus. 
And that's what he's going to explain over here the next stage. In order for the tshuva to be an emes to get tshuva, both above there, it has to do with the hashpa of teferes and yesoid, chesed and gevura. Down here, what does it mean in a person? In order for your tshuva to be emes Emestig means you have to first feel the Abishter as a melech deeply inside of you. That comes as a result and related to being able to have mercy on God, on the Abishter's malchus that has been collapsed. And the second Indian is Yashar, that is related to, as we said earlier, the breaking of the klipa. Why? What's the connection to that to Yashar? Just one more thought. What does he mean by Derech HaYashar? Derech HaYashar means that a person can have do tshuva be'emes, which means be'pnimius. It's not stam, I am like methodically. Till now I behaved so and so, and now, now it says you have to do so and so, and therefore I do so and so, without any inner identification with it. That's not emes. It's, it's kabolas oil malcha shamayim. It's tshuva, but it's not tshuva be'emes, because you're not feeling it deeply. But it's possible for a person to have tshuva be'emes, it should be deep, but it should not come through this contemplation. What then? It should come as a result of what? Circumstantial. Something happened. Something came and shook the person up. And I'll give an example for that. There was a great sinner who later became the master of Chuma. His name was Alazar ben Durdaya. He was a very big sinner. And one time it occurred to him how serious a sin was. The whole story that the Gemara says, at a certain time it occurred to him, and he realized, it dawned upon him, someone told him something, someone told him, you're gone, there's no hope for you, you're such a sinner like no one else has ever sinned before, and he took it to heart, and he had such an intense, for himself, he cried, and he wept and he wept until literally he died crying, he put his head down, and he died, and then a, he- a heavenly voice came out, and he said, the Lozabrender Daya, this big, big lowlife, who sinned, he's going to Olam Haba, because of his great tshuva that he did. And Rebbe was crying and he said, there's a person who can acquire his world in one hour. As it takes other people a lifetime, this person can change himself in one hour and be elevated to such heights. Allah ben So that Allah ben did not learn a Geras tshuva and did not go through this whole method that the Alter Rebbe is teaching over here. Is it not MS? It was MS. It was from the deepest place in his neshama to the point he cried himself to death. So it was emes, but you know what it, what's, what's not there? It's not yashar. It's not the straight path. Because something that's coming from above, it, he had an ace ratzana, it was a time of goodwill that something gave him a sh- shook him up. It's not the path that the Abishter has given us, the straight path for tshuva. Emes means deep. Yashar means the way the Abishter wants it to be. You do an Avera, the Abishter wants you to work yourself to come to tshuva. Don't wait for something to shake you. That's Yashar. These are the two in Yanem that he's speaking about over here. It fits Alpi Kabbalah. MS is MS in Yusayid. And then, uh, and, and this explains why it is necessary all these chapters in Tanya. Because this is the way one's tshuva can be. Of course a person can return the hashpas of Shekhinah to its place just by not sinning anymore. But first of all, how long is that going to last? It's not going to have a long... You can make such a decision, but since you're not into it, since essentially deep inside, you're not identifying with the Abishter's kingship, 
you feel at your core being, you feel that you're an independent person, it's my life, you're upset that you're born a Jew because everybody else can have a good time, and you're the only one who Nebuch is stuck in this situation where you have to like behave so and so and have so many restrictions, you're doing it because you have no choice. That's not too emesting, and it's not going to last too much. But when you learn a Geras finding out your Shoresh of Neshama, and how you're rooted in the Abish's attribute of Malchus, and how the entire cosmic flow of energy flows through your Neshama. And when you're, and when you're obedient and doing the Abish's will, you're at, you're, through you is being um, realized, activated, and expressed God's kingship in the world. If Chas V'Shalem, you're disobeying, you're causing a wreckage in the entire system, and Chas V'Shalem causing the pain in the Shechina and the calling, then you really, really, from the depth of your soul, want to be obedient, and fulfill the Eberster's commandments. And then if you do it in a, in a deep way, through a constant meditation, your tshuva is going to be permanent. It's going to be MS, and it's going to be the Yashar Digit Tshuva. And then, the, in the same way that up there, Malchus is built through Chesed energy and Gavura energy emanating through Teferes and Yesod, down here below as well, you use your Teferes to have compassion, for your disobedience and for the Shekhinah and therefore for the Shekhinah who is affected by it and to be tough with your animal soul which is what we're going to learn about now which is the next phase of tshuva to break down the ego which is keeping your neshama which caused this mess to begin with and that's what he's saying over here Vabez and the second avoda, which is the second aspect which is necessary in order to in order to do proper tshuva tata, in addition, excuse me, in addition to having mercy and compassion for your neshama, is levatish olachniya haklipa. One needs to crush and to subdue the klipa, the shell, the sitra achra, and the other side. How do you subdue? In other words, you have to break them. There's, two, there's a problem here. The shechina has been taken in captivity. She's being held by forces of evil that are holding her. In order to redeem her, you need, a, you, you need to pull her out. You're pulling at the Shechina, but you also have to loosen the grip of the Klippa. So you have to weaken them. How do you weaken them? So he says, Levatesh, you break them. Levatesh, to destroy. And one has to subdue the Klippa and the other side. How do you subdue them? How do you break the Klippa, the forces of unholiness? There's one thing. When you, when you diminish their ego, when you, when you break them, in terms of when you, when, you, when you knock them down, then they disappear completely. So usually you have somebody or something that has... Um, you know, every person is sometimes proud with themselves, they feel good about themselves and they're very proud. And sometimes they don't feel so good. So then they're in a in a in a fakvetched state, in a contracted state. Right? Uh, the 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 impure is but he, he's saying over here that when you smash the klipa, when you break their ego, you destroy them completely. When you smash the klipa, they're destroyed completely. It's not that they're they remained, but they remain in a smaller and a humbled way. There's no such a thing as humble klipa. The moment klipa becomes humble, it's not klipa anymore. Because the whole definition of klipa is only its arrogance. 
The moment you confront its arrogance, and the moment, the moment you knock the wind out of it, and thinking of itself like it's, it's, it's who knows what it is, then it's gone completely. That's what he's saying. The entire chayas and the entire energy of the forces of, un- of unholiness, it's only their haughtiness. Vahagba and their and their rising that they raise themselves up. like it says in the Pasuk, Im if you will rise like an eagle. Klipa thrives, and not just thrives, but it 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 develops itself based on just on arrogance. Good. So how am I gonna humble the klipa? How am I gonna humble and diminish and break them? How can I humble them? And the answer is you humble the own klipa inside of yourself. When you humble the clip inside of yourself and, and, and then it disappears, you break it completely, down comes the cosmic clipa. Because as we said earlier, we are the ones who decide reality. We create, we, we, we strengthen, we establish, we expand the worlds of holiness. We also give energy and power to the world of clipa. The moment we diminish and destroy the clip inside of us, that destroys clipa, universal clipa. It breaks it all. And the bitish means the beating, and the submission ad offer, that you diminish it till the earth, mamish, you break it down till earth itself. This is its death. This spells the end of Klippa. The moment you humble it, you break it. You call, him, you call it what it is, he's going to explain soon. You de- reveal its ugliness and, sh- and, 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 and say to it, you're, you're, you're nothing. And by doing that, your mamash destroy it. Fahainu, and how does that work? It's through the person's own heart becoming crushed. Because let's understand something. The root of all, let's see, within a person, let's use it. What is the root of the root of all sin, the root of all unholiness in the person. The root of all unholiness is all stemming from a person's false, false sense of beingness, false sense of existence. Everything in this world is receiving sustenance from above. And we're all receiving, we're all, we, we are all constantly receiving energy from the Abishter. The Abishter is sustaining us, the Abishter is sustaining all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our activities, everything, all of our talents, everything we own, everything we're getting from above. What's the problem? What's the difference between Kedusha and unholiness? Kedusha acknowledges that it's part of a bigger system. That's all that it is. Kedusha acknowledges that it's part of a bigger system. And it's receiving life from a source. And it's here as a piece of a greater puzzle. To do its part in a greater plan. It surrenders to its mission and to its cause. That's Kedusha. It acknowledges its source and surrenders to its mission and its cause. Kalipa is a breakaway from, from, from source. What's a klipa shell? It blocks. It gives the appearance, it has the feeling, and it gives the appearance as if existence begins with me. I'm not part of a greater, there's not this greater, greater global and world and plan that the Abishter has. And I'm part of it to do what I'm supposed to do. I am. I am just because I am, not, not as a result of something else. As a result of that, I live my life for me and I'm the center of the universe. Nothing else exists. All things exist only so I can use them. That's, that's the essence of klipa. So the root of klipa is, and that's when a person sins. 
What is our person? What does it mean when we learned earlier? You can either be standing under the chambers of holiness, or you can be standing under the chambers of Klippa, receiving your sustenance from Klippa. What does that mean? It's, it depends all in one, one, in, in one attitude. If at this moment I recognize that I'm here purposefully, there is a reason for my existence. The Abish is creating me. And how do I serve you, Hashem? What do you want from me now? I'm using my energy, my talents, my thoughts, speech, and action to do your will, Hashem, that I'm a channel for Kedusha. I'm a channel for holiness. Because then I'm in a state of bittel to something higher. If, however, I blow up with my own ego, with a full sense of I am, and I'm important, and I'm everything, outside of a greater plan, then I'm creating this big block, and that means I'm receiving from the sources from Hecholis of Klip and Sitra Acher, because that's what they're all about. They're all about blocking God's plan and God's interest, claiming that they exist because they exist. That's what Avodazara is. What's, well, why is Klipa called Avodazara? Avodazara means it sees itself as a god. It sees itself as an entity for itself, not serving something higher. Therefore, the root of doing tshuva, the root of destroying that is destroying that sense, that full sense of bloated eye that is imp- that, that is that is that is that is a lie. By breaking that sense of the proudness of I am and I'm, when that is knocked down and that is destroyed, the the entire fluff, the entire fluff of klipa is gone. And then what are you left with? A pure inner voice, a pure inner neshama that is humble and wants to do its mission. That why God has for what God has created it. It's covered up by a bunch of I am and I am this and I want and I need. So this is what he says, Through breaking one's own heart. And to become But here's the thing. So we sometimes look at these two forces and say, okay, this is my neshama that knows that, what, that I'm here to serve Hashem. And then I have my animal soul that doesn't want to know about God, that only wants to know of self, and therefore wants to just have a good time. And it doesn't. So, well, that's what that is. And these are two entities. It's not that way. The two of them are merged together. When we say the two of them merge together, which means that part of the klipa is feeling good about what? Feeling good about myself and about I'm a good Jew as well. See what I'm saying is that the clip is not only I'm living a life divorced from Kedusha, divorced from Hashem's interest, and I'm doing whatever I want. It's not that way. It's the fact that a person lives their life and they kind of feel like, I'm, I'm good, I'm a good Jew, I, I dive in, I learn, I do it. And that's what makes a person bloated with self, self-importance. And sometimes that itself increases a person's distancing from Hashem because um, I, I, um, shouldn't I be... Shouldn't I be taking care of my... Shouldn't I be pursuing my pleasures or my desires because I'm such a good Jew? Because I'm such a good person. Right? So sometimes the clip of the ego, especially by most people that are, are trying to live a good life, a decent life, a moral life, and an observant life, and a Torah life, the ego is built from from their achievements and accomplishments in Yiddishkeit and things like that. So therefore, the only way to, to break that ego is to take a better look 
to do a deep examination, to take a very close look and see all the flaws and all the mistakes and all the shortcomings. And then you say, hey, what I think I am as such a tzaddik and as such a great thing, and therefore I've even given myself the luxury to ignore God and sometimes do what I want over what Hashem wants, that is very, very, very terrible and very ugly. And by doing that, you diminish your ego, as he says over here. Again, how do you cause the klipa to be broken, to be shattered? They lave nishbar v'nitke, through a broken heart and a crushed heart. And he's going to say how you do that in a few moments. What should you think in order to take down that false eye, that false bloatedness, which is blocking on the on the, on the neshama, which is pure and holy and wants to do the godly thing. So that's through a broken heart. Now first, but the question is like this. Why if I break my heart, is that breaking the klipa? So he's going to explain now. It says in the, in the Zaira Kaddish, and, and by breaking the heart, and that breaks, that shatters the entire realm of the unholy. How does that work? So the Zayar says, Al Pasuk, Zifche Elokim Ruach Nishbara. It says in the Pasuk, the Karban Hashem, Ruach Nishbara is a broken spirit. Lev Nishbar Venitke, a broken and crushed heart, Hulu, Hashem will not, Hashem will never push away a broken heart. So the Zohar is bothered by the words, first of all, the redundancy. It says, Ruach Nishbara, a broken spirit. Lev Nishbara, a broken heart. Isn't that the same thing? Ruach Nishbara, a broken spirit. Lev Nishbara, a broken heart. That's how everybody learns the Pasuk. A broken heart, broken spirit. Number one. Number two, the Zohar is bothered. Why does it say, Zifche Elokim, a karban Tahashem? It uses the term Elokim. Usually when, by karban, by all sacrifices, it usually uses the name of Yudke Vavke, the tetragrammaton. The name of God, Yudke Vavke, is the more common word usually associated with karbanis. Like it says, Adam ki Yakrev Mikem, karban, lahashem, Yudke Vavke. Reach nichoach, lahashem. And this is the only pasuk which it mentions a karban, and it uses the name of Elohim. So the Zohar says like this. Ki kol karbon, because every karbon Every karbon from an animal is to the yudke vavke, regular karbonis. And by the way, it says why. Shem avaya is rachamim. The very idea that you can take an animal and give it as a substitute for yourself. You're giving a sacrifice, you're doing a tikkun for yourself. So then, so then why are you shechting the animal? Chas v'shalom, the person should be harming themselves. They need, but the Abishta has rachamim. Mitzad, the Abish does rachamim, you can take the animal and substitute for yourself. That's why every carbon is l'shem havaya, because vaya is rachamim. And that's where the carbon goes to him, he does rachamim. And the carbon also evokes God's rachamim. Avol l'shem elokim, but the Zohar says there's no carbon to the name of elokim. The carbon is not l'shem havaya, it's l'shem of rachamim. It, sometimes we do want to evoke the energy of shem elokim, when, when we need to crush the other side. You want to bring a carbon to the name of Elohim. How do you do that? Zifche Elohim. A carbon to Elohim, not a carbon of an animal. A carbon of an animal, they only evoke Rachamim from Shem Avaya. They don't evoke the attribute of Din, of Elohim. 
So in order to evoke l'shem elokim emidas adit the midah of judgment, ain't makrivim korban behema. A korban of a behema of an animal won't work. Kiim, the only thing that evokes and draws forth energy from midas adin, which which at times we want that, kiim is only thing is kiim l'shaber ulahave ruach hatuma. When we break the sitra achra, when the sitra achra, when the spirit of impurity in the world, when the forces of unholiness that are in the world are shattered and they're broken, that is a pleasant smell to the name of Elohim, and that evokes the shame Elohim when they're broken. That's what it means. Zifche Elohim, ruach nishbara, the spirit is broken. What's the, what's the spirit? The spirit is the forces of unholiness that are in the world. That's the spirit. Then the pasuk continues. How do you break that big dark spirit called Sitra Achra? How is that broken? Lev nishbar by a broken heart. When a person has a broken heart, a shattered ego, and a broken heart, that itself breaks the Sitra Achra. Why? What's the connection? And the answer is, because we learned earlier in Tanya, in the, in the first chelik of Tanya, that besides for a tzaddik, most people, their regular eye is their animal soul. Our general consciousness that we feel most of the time is I, I am, I want, I need. It's not the holy eye. We have a holy eye inside of us that influences us all the time. And we call it my neshama. Sheneshama, shenasato bi. The neshama that you have given into me. There is me, and there's the neshama you gave into me. A tzaddik, someone who has completely taken his animal consciousness and absorbed it into his neshama, his eye is his neshama. He has no other eye. His entire outer being became absorbed in his inner being. And when he's conscious, every moment of his consciousness, he's conscious only of what the Eberster wants, not his own selfish self. Most of us are in selfish mode most of the time. We are in a, in a, in a, in a me state most of the time. It's only that what? We have an Abishter, we have a God that, you know, that's above us. But therefore, since the I by most people is their animal soul, so if you break that I, who are you breaking? You're breaking the klipa. If that I feels broken, well, the klipa has been broken. So that's what it's saying. The spirit of the tumma and the simmer of the sitra achra has to be broken. And this means the broken spirit. And how do you break the ruach of the sitra achra? When the heart is broken and the heart is crushed. Okay, good. So now we know step like this. To evoke the Abishters, to evoke Elohim, we need what? To break the Sitra Achra. Breaking the Sitra Achra is broken, and again, and that, and that enables the Shechina to be extracted. They get broken. How are they broken? When you break your own heart. But now he has to explain, how do you break your own heart? Now it doesn't, so how do you crush it? How do you bring yourself to a crushed heart? Which is what we need to do over the next... 30 days, during, we have to come to a broken heart. And we break the klipa. We cause such a, 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 all the, it's, it's, it's really amazing to, to think about this. All the gook that's stuck on us, and believe we all know there's a lot of gook that gets stuck on our heart and our neshama, a lot of stuff. 
And sometimes it gets so cemented, and you can't move. Mamash, the neshama is paralyzed. It can't move. And all that comes falling down like a, you ever see like a, 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 um, a when, when the, when the, uh, when an iceberg, when the ice starts giving away, and you hear the crashing, and it all comes down. All that stuff come right falling off the neshama the moment you come to a broken heart. And your broken heart, the klipa just dissolves. It's gone. And how does that happen? So the Rebbe is going to say, how do you break your heart? If you're feeling good, a person feels, and how does the heart get broken and crushed? Just a little bit is through disciplining oneself by mortifications and fasts. When you're not giving the ego what it wants. It wants to eat and you don't give him and other things. So you break the ego till it gets softer and it breaks. The heart breaks. But he says only very little bit. In our generations. In earlier generations, they were able to do it primarily through fasting. Because they had strength to be able to endure. In our generations, if we take fasts, um, we, the, the, it, will break the, it will crush the person completely. It won't only crush the ego. It will destroy the person completely. So it's like, you know, sometimes you have certain kind of medication that you need to take. Um, a person needs to take a harsh medication, like a chemo or something. So um, you have to evaluate. And a person is strong enough that it can kill it can kill the cancer, but not kill the rest of the person, then, then that is what needs to be done. But if that treatment is going to destroy the person completely, then what's, what are you gaining? You're killing the person together with the thing. So the same is over here. Taking extreme measures of fasting, in those generations they were strong enough to be able to, fa to fast and it would, it, would, it would break their outer self and it would leave their inner self intact. Today's days, if we take mortification, this will destroy the person completely. We don't have the power to do a lot of fasts. King David, he was able to fast a lot. They were strong. He's proving that David HaMelech was able to crush his, his Yetzirah completely through fasting. It says by David HaMelech, I have a, my heart is either hollow inside of me, or in my heart there is a corpse inside of me. Who's the corpse inside my heart? The Yetzirah is laying dead. I killed him. Chalal means a corpse. Bekirbi inside me, shahar betainus. He has no more Yetzirah because he killed it with, through the, so many fasts that King David's fast, he killed his Yetzirah. For most of us, mostly, a little bit, a person can be a little, can, can restrain himself in the pleasures of the world. But primarily it is through humbling the heart through meditation. To break the heart and to crush it. And to remove the spirit of defilement, and the other side, who it's by a person being master, a master of accounting. Is you have to do an accounting. If you let life just go by day after day after day after day and not stopping and really examining your actions, you think you're doing so well. It's like a person who never checks his books in the business. To see the ins and outs, they're making profit and now he thinks they're going to go. One day he looks into the books and he finds out that the company is taking a loss for who knows how long. We're not gaining. So you have to take a look and do a, a, a good inspection. To be the master of Cheshbena Nefesh. With deep, 
Now, Bechlal, let's just go back a minute. The reason why this is so important for a person to break the ego is because generally when a person is parading around with an inflated ego, right, that, as we said, that's the biggest block for the neshama. You see, you see amongst people, maybe a young person who's very successful. Mama, she went, right, went into business, he's doing so well, and everything is going really well. Never had really any, any hard days in his life. Hasn't gone. So the per, a person like that, that the person should be able to step out of their selfishness, very rare. Because they get so in, into themselves, because they get, they're doing very well, everything is... A person, sometime in their life, goes through hardship. Especially they go through a, a, a tragedy or something like that. What does it do? It creates cracks in your ego. And when there's cracks in the ego, something can shine in. So people get involved with bigger things. They, look, they search for meaning, for deep, bigger things in life. When, when, when a person is so doing so well and everything is so great, they're not even looking for any meaning. The meaning is themselves. Their meaning is having a good time and being popular and famous, and that's their meaning. People start looking for meaning when there is something that happens that breaks their sense of self, and there's something that shattered them, it creates a crack. And what he's saying is that it's possible that through one of these cracks, God too can shine through. The neshama as well can shine through. Just like Bechlau, people look for something more in life when they have a, a shake-up. So here is, but here what the Rebbe is saying is don't wait for a shake-up to happen. You make your own shake-up. And how do you do that? Is the of a person be a master of, of accounting. But with the depth of his mind, to think deeply in his mind and his understanding. One hour every day. So you can either learn shaachas means a time period, or itaka means an hour. An hour a day to meditate on the shortcomings. Before, before the midnight um, prayer. To contemplate the Masha Paul. You see, one, one thing you see, who's he talking to? He's not talking about the, to huge grave sinners because he's talking about people who will wake up to, by midnight and they do take in Chatzos every night. So, what did this guy do already? But yet, this person is telling him that he should, that, 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 he did in his sins. In the exile of the Shechina that he caused. Vigam, first of all, think what you did to the Shechina. Vigam, and then to make matters worse, Goram, the person caused, Lakor to uproot his, I think this is the, 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 the strongest words over here in the parak. He says, what has the person done as a result of his, of his, of his Avera? He's caused his Neshama to be completely uprooted, Michaya Chayim Baruchu, from the fountainhead of life, that's God. And brought his neshama down into the place of Tumah, which means it's not like you're bending a little this way or you're bending a little this way. It's not, you know, you go through, oh, today I was a little good, a little bad, I moved a little here. A person is either attached to Kedusha or, God forbid, his entire base and his entire source and his entire foundation of existence. Source and foundation of existence is what? Hecholos HaSitra Achra. The chambers of Sitra Achra, they're his support center. They're his base. They're his energy. They're his life. Chas 
not only is the person receiving vitality from them, meaning he's, he's, uh, he's no, not only did he bring his nefesh down, did he uproot his soul from the source of life into this very dark and horrible dark place, the nasas bibchenas markava, the person actually became an instrument for them, became a vehicle for them, aleim to them. They have been riding your soul to wherever they want to go. Basically, the person became a toy in their hands. That's what happens. Because, see, a, a human being, is an, he's, he's hired by somebody. Either you're hired by God, and God is, is, is Hashem's kingship, Hashem's dominion over the world is coming through the person. If you're doing good things and godly things, God's kingship over the world is coming through the person. The person is serving the klipa. If you're doing not what the Abishter wants, and doing what the eye wants and what the unholy wants, then the person literally becomes a vehicle and an expression through which Klippa gets its way into the world. Klippa diminishes its, its and and Lakabamem Shefa Vachayas, the person is receiving from them Shefa Vachayas, Lashpia Lagufoy, to give life to his body, Kaniskaliel. So imagine if a person realizes one day, imagine something like this. If a person realizes one day that they've been carrying a deathly disease. And they've been spreading that disease to so many people. They didn't even know about it. And they suddenly realize, even if you forget about yourself, the fact that you've been putting this and causing this kas and this to others, it's a horrible thought. He says, that's what's happening. The person has become the agent through which the klipa and the sitra achra proliferates its, its, um, its stuff through the person's misdeeds. And this should be enough to diminish a person's sense of self-importance. I'm not that important and that wonderful. I'm quite a real problem in this world. And you get very, very, very frustrated with oneself. And very, but the moment you feel crushed and down, the sitra achra is destroyed. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. The klipa is gone. Because its entire existence is its bloating of self. This is what the sages say. Reshayim the wicked, bechayeim during their lifetime, kruyim mesim. The wicked are called dead, even when they're alive. So what does that mean? It means that they're receiving their life from a place of death. Kalipa is really not alive. It happens to be kicking, even though it's really dead. If a person is receiving energy from them. He's literally receiving life from a place that's death. So he's not really living life, he's living death. It really is a living hell. It means literally that the... But here's what he's trying to, I think, bring out. Is that, I guess you say, I'm alive. I'm living life. I happen to do, sometimes I do negative things. The Alter Rebbe is saying, have to do. the entire life, the vitality that's flowing through your veins, the entire energy that's flowing through your, your life, your very being, life, life, life that you're breathing, is death, is not life. Because Klippa is sustaining you during the time of sin. So when you're doing Chas V'Shalom, when a person is doing that, then one is being sustained by real dark energy, which is death, not life. So they're not alive, they're really death. That's what the sages who had, who had the eyes to see can look and see a person, he's not alive. It's mamish living with dead energy. And this also explains, so we turn over the page, 
Not the dead can, 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 should praise God. To Pasuk we say in, in Tahalel. The dead will not serve God. We cannot praise God. So he's asking a question, who is it referring to the dead can praise God? Are we making fun of dead people? You're not allowed to make fun of dead people. The fact that they're dead, okay. So why are, you, why, are we, why are we teasing them and saying, ooh, you're dead already, you can't praise God. We're still alive, we could praise Hashem. We know that that's called loeg l'rosh. Loeg l'rosh means to make fun of a poor person. In that sense, to tease someone, say, oh, look what I have, you don't have. So it says, we know we're not allowed to wear tefillin in a cemetery. When you go through a cemetery, you're supposed to cover your tzitzis. Because a, a dead person can't, can't wear tzitzis, can't wear tefillin, so you're really just teasing them and saying, you know, you can't do this mitzvah. So if that's the case, why do we announce and we say, Aloha mesim yahalaluka, the dead can't praise God? And the answer is, we're not referring to the dead, which are the people that died. When it says the dead, that means wicked, the wicked that are called dead, even when they're alive, they can't praise Hashem. They're not like someone, Ella the intention is Allah Rishayim on the wicked. So why? Now even when they're alive, they're called dead. So what does it mean they can't praise God? They could praise God. A wicked person decides he wants to praise God. Why can't he praise God? No. So it says no. It says that while the person is wicked and they try to daven, they're going to be bombarded with negative thoughts. All, not actually negative, all kinds of thoughts. Here the, the, the phone is going to ring and this is going to ring and this and that and that. And the thoughts are going to come from left field. Because it doesn't mean that a wicked person can't, can't praise God. At the moment they decide they don't want to be wicked anymore, and they want to change their ways, then, then, this, then, they, then they, go out of the, they go out of the grip of death, then they can praise Hashem. But as long as they're under that dark, dark place, and they say they want to praise God from that place, they don't let them. From heaven, they don't let them. Hashem doesn't want that praise. They're being confused with... Negative thoughts, while they're still in their sin. And they don't want to do tshuva. He's only bringing this parenthetical to explain that that's what it means, mace, that a person, when a person is still in a state of sinning, they've uprooted themselves from the source of life. And a Jew is not, it's not, it's not like you're going to a place of death. A Jew is not only alive, a Jew is beyond life. As we said earlier, he's rooted in expressing the essence of God, and now he put himself in to become an expresser of death, and his very life is death. Good, so someone is going to say, wow, this is really harsh, this is really terrible. And if you really think about this, you really can feel really bad. But that's if they did what? Only a sin, which is kares. What does he mean? He said you uprooted yourself, a person uprooted himself from the source of life, and he went into the place, but that's only by karis. Karis means you cut your rope completely from chaya chayim, from the fountain of life. But I didn't do an avera that you're chayif karis. What happens if a person says, I didn't do such an avera? So doesn't, I didn't uproot, I did little sins, but I didn't do an You can't say about that I went and I uprooted myself from the root, from the source of life. Even if someone did not transgress the sin of kares, which is excision. And even on the lesser sin, and not even this, a sin of death by, by the hands of heaven, which is for lesser violations than kares. 
So even that the person doesn't do. Which is the omission of seed in vain. Which that is considered an Avera that you're high of but rather the person did minor sins. And therefore he'll say, it's not such a big, it's not such a big sin. I didn't uproot myself from the root source of life. Nevertheless, since they cause a pegam, a pegam is like a blemish. In the neshama, like we said, there's a rope from 613 strands, and if you snip one, so then the kiss and the godly soul. So then if you have a rope with 613, so there are, of course, a few main arteries that if you snip them, forget about it. But then if you also have a bunch of little, a little, ro- little stra- strands that are cut off, so a, a whole bunch of little strands can be equal and can have the same detrimental effect of disconnecting the neshama from its source like one big avera. So even if the person didn't do a big sin, but if there were minor violations, and there were quite many, that's also considered like uprooting myself, chas v'shalem, from the source of life, and disconnecting. pigimas, and like the blemish, upsikas chavolim dakim, and like if you cut the small little strands, keniskalel, as we said before. Hare, so then, beribu yachatoyim, with the multitudes of sins, there can be a blemish, which many small violations can equal the same severity like one sin that there is kares oimisa or death. Now, the Rebbe says, and he makes even, 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 even less, meaning even more, and more than what? Meaning even if someone didn't even do many sins, generally the person is very observant and keeps everything, but there's one thing that they have a tough time with. Everybody's got their one thing. This is their one thing. But this thing they violated many times. This one Avera. They did this a whole bunch. And even if a person doubles one sin many times, so you might say, if you use the analogy of the rope, when you're snipping many, so if you have a rope made up of many, many, many wires, so you snip, we said before, a kares is snipping a main, the main wire. Okay. If you do a small avera, you're snipping little, 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 the little wires, but you still have a flow. But if you do many different averas, you snip a bunch of them, and that can be the same effect. But how about if you only did the same avera? So that, you know, once you did it, you snipped it, and then you keep on doing the same thing, you're not really adding too much more damage. And it's not, it's only one little strand. So he says, no. Even if it's the same sin that a person repeated again and again and again, that too could create the same damage. Why? Because he says, besides the rope analogy, there is another analogy that the, that the, that the Pasuk uses. The Pasuk uses different analogies because to show on what a sin is. The Pasuk says that a sin is compared to a, to a, to a, a cloud. God is the sun. The person is down here. The sun shining on the person is Hashem's light shining on the person. A cloud comes in between the sun and the person. It's blocking the sunlight. So a cloud, no, so he's going to say that there are different types of clouds. Sometimes you have rain clouds, very thick clouds. That's a big sin. Sometimes you have very, very thin, small clouds where the sunlight still comes through. It's a small sin. But what happens if you take a whole bunch of small little clouds and you pile them up one on top of the other? 
even if it's just small, light, not dense clouds, very, very, very light clouds, but if you pile a whole bunch of them, it will make it just as dark as if you have one thick cloud. And that's the idea that he's using the analogy now, that even if it's the same sin, but since the sin is considered a anon, a separation, so a whole bunch of them can equal. Like the Navi compared sins to a cloud that is mafil, that darkens the light of the sun. Like it says in the Pasuk, I have erased like a thick cloud, your rebellious sins. So these are these are the heavy and, and, and harsh sins that separate between the innermost of the Shema Vayel and Ephesholikis and the godly soul. They separate. Kavdalas, like the separation, onan av, of a very thick cloud, the chashach and dark one, hamavdal bein Hashemesh, that separate between the sun, la'aret to the land, and to those who live on the land, why does the Alter Rebbe do the mashal of, what does he use these words? To the, to the land, the, the separate between the sun and the land and those who live on the land. Is it just a poetic kind of a thing? It separates between the sun and the, and the earth. So the Rebbe says an interesting diuk. He says it's because we're talking about the, the, the sun is the Abishter. When a person sins, he's separating himself, but he's also separating the Shekhinah from the Abishter. He's causing a separation in a soul source. The Shekhinah is called Aretz. The person, people living off the Shekhinah are called Darim Allah. They live on the inhabitants of the Shekhinah. We live on the Shekhinah. We live on the earth. The earth is Mother Earth. That's the Shekhinah. We're living on the Shekhinah, on the earth. And then there is the sun. When the clouds come, a sin doesn't only separate between the person and Hashem. It separates between the Shekhinah and Hashem and between... And also, and of course, as a derolta, the Shekhinah is cut off, then the Neshama is also cut off. So now, so that's, that's a thick cloud. But then there are thin clouds. But then the Pasa continues, and like an anon, like a thin cloud, the smaller sins. These are minor sins. That people trample with, with, their, with their heels. What does it mean? People don't treat it seriously. They think it's just a minor thing. These separate... They separate like the havdala, like the separation of a light cloud, the kolosh, and that's not dense. That's very So take this analogy. If a person puts opposite the sun, against the window, you have a window and the sun is the sun is shining. So um, you have shades. So shades let the sunlight go. Sometimes you go to the hotels, they have these big, big, big shades. You put them this, and it's dark like a middle of the night. It's a good, like a really good, that's like a, But then you have thin shades. So a, th- a thin, a thin uh, a block um, is, it allows the sun to come through. But if you're gonna pile and pile and pile a bunch of them, like a hundred, even if it's thin, it's gonna make it just as dark as if it would have been one thick, and dense, and dense thing. Very much. And ma'afilois, they darken, like one thick partition, the yoiser, and even more than that. The kocha mamish, and this is literally the analogy of Benimshah. Even if it's sins, 
People step on it and they think it's minor things. And they do all, and because they think it's minor, they keep on repeating it again and again and again. So even if you don't have in your sin whatever this huge, huge averus, but if you have a whole bunch of repeat of the other ones, you can recognize that your chasvashalom uprooted one's neshama from the highest place and separated into the klipa and the sitra achra, which is a very horrible place to be in. This is if it's really minor. That's this true, even if it's a really, really minor sin that a person did. Now, by the way, I just want to say one interesting thing. Someone asks the Rebbe, where does the Alter Rebbe take this idea? That if you do one sin many times, it's as chamor as, as if you did a big sin. A of kares, which is a big sin, if you do one, even if it's a small error many times, is there a, a source to this in Nigla? In Hasidus, fine, I'll be Kabbalah. But in Niglach, in Shulchan Aruch, in, in the revealed Torah, is there a source to this? So the Rebbe says, yeah, not only is there a source, it's an open halacha. An interesting halacha. I have to be able to see this. It's really, he says, there's a halacha like this. If someone is sick on Shabbos, and they need food, they must have food. We need food for the sick person. And there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing. There was a kiddush, and everybody polished off all the food. There's nothing left to feed them. And so you have two options. There is meat that's not kosher, meat that was not slaughtered properly. You can feed him that meat, non-kosher meat. The other option is to shecht an animal. You can, let's say there's no bread, no other option. Oh, they need meat, whatever. So the other option is to kill, to, to shecht an animal. But it's Shabbos, so which one should you do? Should you give them to eat non-kosher meat? Or should you shecht the animal and give them kosher meat from being slaughtered properly? Which one should you do? Should you shecht the chicken? Or should, you, or should you take the dead chicken that was never slaughtered properly? So the Allah is you shecht the chicken and you give them kosher meat. And the question, right, that's the Allah. And the, the reason, and the question is why? Shechting on Shabbos is an iser. Shabbos is the biggest violation. Violating Shabbos is chayav misa. Death by the court. It's the highest violation. Eating non-kosher meat is only a prohibition. It's a Torah prohibition, but it's a chi of love, which means it's a, a prohibition. At, at worst, there is lashes, but it's not, it's not, it's not punishable by death. So it's a lesser violation. So what's the reason why we tell them to shech um, the animal and give him kosher? So the Ran says, and it's brought in the Mogan Avram and Shulchan Aruch, the reason for that is, is because shechting you do the thing one time. You shech the chicken and that's it. It's a one time shech. You do one aver on Shabbos. When you're giving them to eat, every bit that they're going to eat, each time they're eating, they're going to be over again and again. And therefore repeating a sin many times is worse than doing this a bigger sin one time. And at Kedekach, the halacha is, even if you have an option to give them pachas mekazayas, you'll give them less than the shear and you wait a certain amount, like in your kipper, you know, you give the person, when the person has to eat, you give them a little bit and you wait a certain duration of time. So even if it's pachas from a kazayas, when it's pachas then a shear, it's, it's not even, you don't even get malchus for it. It's not even that. Yet, the halacha is, you still shech the animal. Yeah, that's right. No, if they did it, if they did separate times, they are very, you get five. Yeah, yeah. But I'll So you see clearly from there this halacha, this idea. 
that, an, that, a, that, a, that a repetition of an Avera, minor sin, many times, can equal or even be more. That's why he says even word, V'yoyser, even worse than, than doing one time something very harsh. Um, and it's also, a lot of it also has to do because when you, when you do something really bad, then you really feel bad about that. That gives you, gives you something, it's easier to do tshuva because you really feel like I did a big Avera. But if you do, you're doing small little things and you're just repeating them, it becomes totally permissible in your mind and you don't even realize the severity of it. Right? So uh, like the person came to the rabbi, two people, and one of them did a big sin and the other one did was, so the rabbi said to the guy who did the big sin, bring me a big rock. So he goes and he's schlepping and he's bringing the big rock. He tells the other guy, bring me like 60 pieces of straw. So the guy goes and he schleps together 60 pieces of straw and he brings it. Then the rabbi tells the guy with the rock, okay, now you go put back the rock. Gets put back. And you go put back the straw exactly where you took him from. So obviously it's a much harder piece of, piece of work because, so it's the same idea. He says the same Avera, you do it a lot of times, it sometimes it's harder to fix than doing just a big thing. Um, but he says that's even if it really is a minor. That's even if it that's really that's even if it really is a minor sin. But a lot of times it's only the person thinks it's a minor sin and it's not even a minor sin. For example, or for some as Razal, things that are the sages speak about, The sages point to certain things that people take very lightly, and they say that that is equivalent to the three cardinal sins of idolatry, adultery, and, and, and murder, and spilling of blood. For example, A person ignores a poor man. Someone is collecting tzedakah, and someone pretends they don't see the person. So the Allah is every time you see someone that needs help, you're supposed to help them. So the, 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 the sages say that that's the same like idolatry. Mamish like a person would have bowed down to an idol. Like it says, be careful. Hashem says, when Hashem says, be careful, there shouldn't be anything in your heart that you don't help the poor man. Now, Belial is the same word that is used for Vodazara. And Belial, the word Belial means Belial, without yoke, it's someone who's serving Avodazara. And we compare someone who doesn't give tzedakah to someone who's needy to, as, as they served idols. A person could have done this a bunch of times. And this is considered a minor sin. Or, someone says something not positive about someone else. Something un, un uh, what's the word? Uncomplimentary un- uh, about someone else. Which is Rosh Hashkula, which the sages say, this is equal not just to idolatry, but to all, th- all three of them together. Idolatry, adultery, and killing someone. Just so, and people think, okay, so what? I said something that is not complimentary about someone else. Or anger. Who doesn't get angry? Get angry, get upset. Get angry. Person loses their temper. It's as if they served an idol. Or someone that's haughty. Same thing. The Gemara says it's like uh, uh, like Avodazara. Okehena Rabbah's big Gemara. There are many things in the Gemara. The Gemara, the Gemara equates things that we look at as small things like something major. 
Talmud Torah connected Kulam. And the lack of Torah study, wasting time, when a person had time to study Torah and they didn't study Torah, is equivalent to all of them. How do you know that? Because the sages say that God was willing to look away for the worst sins, but he was not willing to look away at wasted time of Torah study. So you see that this is even worse than all those sins. That Hashem was mevater and avoid zara chulu and all the other sins. And therefore, sidroi bekriyishma because of this they instituted in Krishna Shalamita, which is a time of tshuva. When you say the Shema, the bedtime Shema, that's a time when we're supposed to do tshuva. If you're not going to get up at midnight and do this meditation, to do two things, to evoke compassion for your soul and to crush the ego that, 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 and say to yourself, look what a mess I have done. If you don't do this by midnight, another time to do it is by the bedtime Shema. So at the bedtime Shema, the sages instituted to accept upon oneself the four penalties of death that the court gives. And this is in this, particularly in the Arizal Shema. In the Nusach Ari Shema, there is a spill passage in which you say a special thing that you're accepting upon yourself. If I did a sin, so and so, let it be as if I was stoned. If I did a sin, that's all, let it be considered in front of you as if I was burnt. Let it be as if I was... Uh, uh, strangled. The person says, especially Yeratz, you say, well, why should every person say this? What happens if at the end of the day you look back at your day and you know that you didn't do any sin that deserved such big punishments? He says, but based on what we just said, that sometimes we underestimate the sin, sometimes we got angry and we didn't realize that's idolatry, and for that there is stoning, and you didn't realize that you're not, you're not putting it together. That's what it is. So you're saying to Hashem, I'm doing tshuva for that, let that be forgiven as if that was done. That's even just simply not, not taking into consideration the esoteric element. The Gemara says that small these sins are equivalent to the big sins. Milvad, in addition, Sha'al Pihasod, based on the mystical tradition, Kola Pogain Ba'as Yud, if any Avera that a person does in which they blemish the letter of Yud of God's name, Hashem's name is Yud K Vavke. So you blemish the Yud of God's name, Shashem Avaya, Kilun Skila. That is equivalent as if the person was, was, um, is, has become condemned to stoning. Which means it doesn't even have to be these sins. Any sin that is considered a blemish in the Yud of Hashem's name warrants the punishment of Skila. Spiritually, not physically, God forbid, stoning. But spiritually, it's related because the four, the four deaths, the four types of death that the cap, forms of death that the basin would give correspond to the four letters of God's name that were blemished through the sin and they have a tikkun through these punishments. So therefore, if anybody sinned in any type of sin that relates, so a sin that relates to the yud of Hashem's name, it warrants skila. And someone blemishes the letter hey, the upper hey, the former hey of God's name. Kilun is high of srefa. So that warrants the punishment of burning. And Shalom a blemish in the letter Vav, which would cause a person to be killed by the sword. And then the, finally the latter hey, if they, someone blemished it, it's as if they would be guilty of a sin in which they have strangulation. And so the Rebbe says, so it doesn't take any major sins to do that, to create a mess in these four letters. If someone misses the Shema, one day he didn't say Shema, or how can another way to be Mavat Lukrishma? If we say Shema and we don't have Kavana, 
It's as if we didn't say it. The first pasuk you have to have in mind. So how many times, like a thousand, a million times, we say Shema. Our head is all over the place. So when you say Mavatul Kriya Shema, and you're supposed to say Shema twice, once in the morning and by Ma'ariv. The mind is right, right. So Mavatul Kriya Shema. Someone is Mavatul Shema. Poigim Ba'is Yud is a blemish in the letter Yud. Or if you wake up late, so even though you say Shema, but you said it after the Zman, hasn't really fulfilled the mitzvah of saying the Shema. Utfilin, and if there is a someone is Mavatul Tfilin, Ba'is Hey, it blemishes the Hey of God's name. Vitzitzis, and if someone is has a pagam in his tzitzis, ba'iz vav. That's a blemish in the letter of the vav of Hashem's name. Vetfila, and if someone misses a prayer, when you got busy and you forgot to pray, ba'iz hey, is a blemish in the latter hey of God's name. Chulu. So, and which correspond to the four punishments. So you see that what might seem to be minor things are not so minor because in a Jew's life, nothing is minor. Everything is huge, because we're huge, and the Torah is huge. So everything we do, good, is unbelievably wonderful. And that's what we spend learning about um, every Thursday night uh, for all, all the year long. We're always talking about how the, the things that we underestimate in terms of its goodness and its value, how magnificently valuable they are. But in the month of Elul, we learn a little bit about the, the not so good that we do, and what kind of massive blemishes they make so that we can fix them. So the maskil, a wise person, can learn out from this. To other sins, how they're rooted in God's name. And the lack of Torah study equals all of them. And that causes a blemish in the entire name of God. And therefore, one has quite a bit to do a calculation and a, a, a serious as the Zohar says, a person should be a master of accounting. Always do accounting. Scan your actions. Scan your deeds at the end of the day. Take a look at your day. Like the famous story of the Rebbe Lamelech and Rebbe Zusha. They went to look. They went to look who is their brother. They found out. They know that they, they never, they, 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 their mother had another child who somehow was left the house before they were born. They never met him. And they were, they, they, they were very good brothers. They, 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 they were deeply connected to each other. And they wanted to find who was the third brother. So they went looking for him. And one time they were told where, his, where the third brother is and that he was an innkeeper. But they wanted to find out. They didn't want to tell him that they're his brother, whatever. So they decided to hide out and to see who's this guy to see you know, what kind of fellow he is. So they went and they saw, they came to the inn and he looked like a very regular person, just an ordinary fellow. And he was serving people, you know, he was a bartender. That's what he was doing the whole time, hanging out with the peasants. They didn't really look like much of a tzaddik. He davened, and nothing extraordinary, didn't see any amazing learning of Torah and stuff like that. So they said, now nah, there's some secret over here. So they hid out and they waited. And then at night, they saw this guy take out a book. And um, no, the, during the day, they saw him writing down the whole time things in a book. He's writing, writing, writing. And at night, they saw him take out the book. And they see him sit there, and then they see him crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. Mamish, like unbelievable tears that he was. And uh, so it repeated itself the next day and the next day. They approached him, they say, What's going on? So he told them that he, he writes down every action that he does. Every few minutes, he writes down what he thought, what he said, and what he did. 
And at night, he cleans it. He doesn't, until he can't wipe it up with his tears, he doesn't, he's not done. Until he wipes everything out. So that's called Mara de Chushbina, a master of accounting. And Hasidim used to say that the Zohar uses the term, and the master of accounting, it means that you do the accounting like the boss of the business, not like the accountant that's hired. See, the accountant that's hired, the bookkeeper that comes in and does the bookkeeping. So what happens if you have certain, 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 certain problems as you're doing and you're really in the... So okay. you can't figure it out. So what, is the, what does the bookkeeper do? The bookkeeper will show you why it happened. You don't say, what's happening? Why is the company... Why, why are we losing money? So he goes through and he does the books and everything. And he says, well, you made this mistake and this mistake and this mistake. And then you start inquiring why this happened. So he investigates and he finds out the mistakes that were made. And let's say sometimes it's a good reason why. The guy was sick. This was happened. That happened because of that. So you have a good excuse. So the bookkeeper leaves it and he's fine. Now he figured out the problem. And it's fine. But the owner of the business, it's not fine. Because Saif Kal Saif, the business isn't making money. It doesn't make a difference. You can have the best excuse in the world of why it didn't happen, but the business isn't making money. And this is what Hasidim said. It means he calls him a master of accounting. Do the accounting like the owner, which it doesn't make a difference if you have a good excuse. Even if it's a good excuse, but the problem is it's not. In the end, there is no profit. And the business of life has to be profitable. And the profit has to be Torah and mitzvahs and extra godly light in the world. And if we're doing the opposite, we have to clean it up. Baruch Hashem, we can clean it up very quickly. You have mercy on your neshama, you break the, the klipa, a little bit of meditation, a little bit of private time, take care of business, clean it up, and ready for Mashiach, right?